Blog Talk Radio. Mozart, think Mozart, huh? 
The love received so far has been so hard. There's a few dudes to run, but they medulla they sharp. Man, they so soft. Don't be thrown off any Zolar. Avoid them at all costs, like raccoons or skunks. But back to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns, press one. To everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are. Peace, family. Peace, peace. Peace to you and yours. This is No The Less Radio. You are now rocking with the best. This is your host for the Blue Pill. All right. I am joined by my co-host, the distinguished brother Red. Peace. Hello? Hello? Yo, hello? Hello, you hear me? Yeah. You hear oh, me? Oh, that's not how I be sounding on the radio. Yeah. Huh? Yes, I hear you. Oh, all right now. That's what's up. Yeah. Peace to the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This your yeah, co-host, Marshall Lynch. I'm I'm just here, so I won't get fined. I'm just here. <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> oh no, you know I gotta I gotta let that one go. I can't I can't not salute my dude. Oh man, I was supposed to have them audios queued up. I'm slipping. Yeah, you are. That out to all the real Africans. Marshawn Lynch over Pat Lynch any day. How about it? Hey, that that Oakland though. You understand me? Yeah. Shout out to Casual. Yeah, shout out to Casual. Bay Area family. You understand me? You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? So, you know. Inky, we need to holler at Inky, KT, and a few other the biogenetics in the community. Collect DNA samples from all them brothers, B. Stop playing. Yeah, I was just about to get into that dialogue about I'm interested in what the babies are seeing. Like, how are they registering? Like, you know, do they know that's real Naga DNA that they're looking at? You know, that they that, that, that thing right there needs to be, like, putting the uh, – in the vial and, and you know what I'm saying, on emergency eject, like that needs to be vaccination in the hood. That needs to be inoculation in the hood. Do yeah. the babies understand yeah, this? Like, 
That could be broken broken wrist vaccination. Niggas getting vaccinated for the measles and the mumps. Why you not getting vaccinated for your sugar level, homie? Huh? Why you getting vaccinated for that knuckle dragon nigga There's vaccinations for that. That's why we need our scientists. They got a biogenetic lab right in Harlem. You know, Google it. Let me me open up the line, let one of these scientists on. This brother might have some answers for you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we need some. uh, Design of Marshawn, baby. Yeah, I'm into design of genetics. I ain't scared of that. You know what I'm talking about? We could get Mike Tyson's DNA. We could get, uh, damn, Larry Davis left us. We could get Marshawn Lynch DNA. We could get Shug Knight DNA. Shug Knight DNA. Okay. And, <laughs> and we could build us some universal <laughs> soldiers. We get dial suit and DNA. We get some. Come on, man. If somebody got a piece of college clothing, I'm talking about. Y'all not ready for this thing, man. Y'all playing. Y'all, yeah, they're man. Y'all not, playing. They're not ready. Oh, KT, the off degree. Peace, peace. Come forward. Hey, Come forward, young scientists. Talk to me, man. What's the deal, brother? What's the deal? Is can we create some sort of oscillating wave beam where we could um like chemtrail these niggas and and like dump some of this Martian energy over the uh, planet? <laughs> I mean, Talk nah, to me, man. I need to know my we, options are. No, we we don't have to because it's already been done. See, see, that can't keep shit. Hold on, he getting into his thing. Let him talk. That's his intro. That's his. Yeah, you See, know, his mind alone is he, he hit you with the fog. Come on in. <laughs> one of the problems we have is, you know, when we when we do find some progress going on, we get so juiced up from the progress that then we turn into microwave niggas all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? And then oh. all of a sudden we want everything to pop off. We got to recognize what happened. <laughs> we got to recognize it has been done. That was a portal. That was a door open for the mere fact that me and you ain't just talking about it. Think of all the people that's talking about that across the globe. Think of the people who's opening up their minds to it being a possibility. Think of all the scary niggas who might not be so scared anymore where the fear is starting to die back down and go away and the courage is starting to bubble back up. You know what I'm saying? So it's taking place. It's happening. You know what I'm saying? So that that's the first step. The first step is definitely dialogue, you know, as a as a product of an action taking place. You know, and um, you know, I keep talking but um you know, I'm just here so I don't get fired. <laughs> I I just I'm I'm yeah. scared because I don't want to get fined. Block man, talk, you know yeah. <laughs> Y'all got two hours and forty minutes to look at me. You got two hours and forty minutes to look at me. <laughs> hey man, I'm hey, bo- hey boss, I'm I'm just here because I don't want to get fined. I'm just saying. But nah, man, I, I didn't I'll get I didn't get a chance to come on the show on Tuesday, man. But I definitely want to give a big shout out and and thank you and appreciation um, to the family, 
and the people uh, that came out to support uh, me and those alleged, you know, at Nicholas and, and at Todd Mary in regards, you know, to the two events, you know, that was um, that was playing off of, uh, you know, winning Rome and, and the digitized event y'all was doing. So, you know, I didn't get to come on and put that out in the air on Tuesday. Uh, so I want to make sure I, I put that out there to the family today, you know, of uh, all the yeah. appreciation that I have, you know, and the success of the event, you know, the the Fantastic Voyage event was, it, it was just spectacular. Uh, one thing everybody. Yeah, I, I, just lost, was, I just left Nicholas. They're still talking about that. Yeah, man. It was like, I ain't, they ain't never seen nothing like that before. They never seen the body like that before. People was walking out like they got it. They understand. They're like, yo, I'm, I'm a walking universe. <laughs> I'm a walking cosmo, right. you know what I'm saying? And it's so that's funny because right. after I hit him with all that, when I hit him with the God body, that's all we've been seeing on the news is the God body. You Not only that, bro. They launched that Fantastic Four trailer right after you opened uh, it. Come on, come on, son. Come on, like, man. Hold on, hold on. Hard. <laughs> hold on. Hard, like, man. yeah, if... Hold on, if, if we're gonna do this, we gotta share credit, man. You know what I'm saying? I don't wanna feel no way. You know, I'm not even gonna get into my tirade, but um, oh, you understand me? Um, the four four God. Hold on, not the six God, but the four four. You need to remix that song in that fact. Go ahead, man. My bad. I know you on your fours. No, they got two. They got Fate two the, different no. fantastic fours. So yeah, the you got you got to share, okay, so share that. Nah, nah, not only that, they said, what, it rests on the shoulder of four, but you got two shoulders, ain't that 44? Like, yeah. no, I see this shit everywhere, like. Come on, now. Come on, come on, come on, I see it baby. every which way. And, 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 you know, those are the things that hone my skill, but since we're talking about galaxies, and since we're talking about interstellar and intergalactical, you know, yeah. Now let me yeah, let me, I have to let talk me say, to this. Hold on, hold on. Let me segue, man. I have to actually on, explain to this dude, you know, and, and try to like, if I gotta explain this shit, you know what I'm saying? It, it just really says something about your level of cognition. But there's there's um, I'll just leave the people anonymous, you know what I'm saying? But one of them might be on the phone right now. We come back from the lecture. I explain to people unequivocally the relationship between 44 and 444, unlike anything that's ever been done, like nobody's ever explained that relationship by using themselves as the fulcrum, as the middle point. Because remember, it's all about the observer. What I'm observing is one thing. I am the observer. So I'm building and I'm showing people the connection and I'm also showing them 444 outside of that. I took it from New York to Boston by showing them the towers and then, and all of these things, and we just made all these connections. And more importantly, I followed my spirit because that voice in my head said, yo, this is what I want you to do. And if you do that, the universe will reward you. So I get back. A day later, they find the most ancient solar system in creation, and it's called Kepler-444. Bombs. <laughs> Nah, nah, I, it's dry bombs. I ain't even got to, I ain't even got to, you know what I'm saying? I refuse that. I, I, nah, I'm, I'm not even going to bomb myself on that. I'm just trying to figure out 
why would I have to convince somebody that's in close proximity to me that that is what it is? Like, I'm like, for real? That's where we at with this? I'm really, you know, on the island by myself seeing this? Okay. No, not at all. And I want to let the people know in this this revamping they're doing of the four, um, from what I'm from what I'm hearing is um they're actually not going out of space to get hit with the cosmic this go round. They're actually crossing into another dimension. So that's what this movie's gonna be about, as opposed to it being interstellar, it's gonna be more interdimensional, more along the lines of when he ended up in that Tesseract at the end. That's mm-hmm. the angle they're gonna be going at in this one. They're gonna be crossing over into another plane of existence. And in doing that, that's how they release the elements inside of them because people don't recognize that that's what the Fantastic Four stands for. The Fantastic Four represents the four elements, with Mr. Fantastic being water, Thing being earth, Torch being fire, and uh, Sue Storm being, being air with her, you know, mental powers and all that, you know, invisible woman and everything right. like that. But you know, and creating the quintessence, which is the pyramid. That's why they showed the four of them around that beam of light shooting up like the obelisk because the obelisk and point or the bin-bin stone is the quintessence of the four base, the four sons of Heru, which represents the four pillars of the foundation. So, um, and, the brother, and, and the brother is in his torch. Oh, come on, man. He's the fire, the melanin. He's the fire. He's the flame. There's nothing else that can stand flame and supernova of that magnitude other than that. You know? So it only makes mm-hmm. sense. So, that's right. You know what I mean? And I think Dr. Doom's going to be uh, digitized. Like, he's going to be like a like a website oh. Intel mogul or something like that. So your whole uh, uh, revolution is going to be digitized. I think they're going to personify that as Dr. Doom in the films. Right? Mm. Yeah. Doom is going to be the digital, the digital beast. Yeah, the disruptor. Yep, exactly. Uh, That's right. That's right. A lot, a lot going on, man. And then I got a chance to go ahead on Sunday and bust open that After Earth, and um, man, I I took it there, son. <laughs> oh boy. Boy, boy, boy! A lot of uh, people from the Fantastic Voyage, you know, they were so, they were so pumped up from that, juiced up from that. They they came, you know, for for some seconds. So they came around and checked the After Earth out, and um, you know, and and got to go on that journey with me, and I was able to take them, you know, just to a whole nother plane. What was tight was we actually screened the film first. You know what I'm saying? So that that made it even more dynamic. Right. So we got to go on a on a journey initially, and and then afterwards I got to crack the code. So, you know, they definitely came okay. out. They definitely supported, and it was it was amazing. Okay, when we gonna get that, man? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, both of them are getting both of them are getting edited as we speak. Um, I'm editing the both of them right now. You know what I, what I was able to debut though. Uh, when I was up there, it was uh, Interstellar and Black Panther. The both of those was ready. Um, so, you know, HollywoodDecoded.com, you go there, you can catch Interstellar and Black Panther okay. now. Okay. 
You got to get the um, flies right, yeah. You got to let people know nah, that. Yeah, 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 it's up. It's up. They got, we got it up. We got it up, you know. I'm I'm putting it all together, you know what I mean? I'm putting it all together. And um and because of the fantastic voyage, you know, in lieu of that, it's, you know, it's my F combined, you know, my So Ionic and my Hollywood decoded together by being able to break these movies down and show people the God body within and then show them, you know, how to maintain it. So um, in lieu of that, you know, being able to get into the herbs, you know, and talk about the plants and the properties, you know, and potency, you know, of uh, some of these formulas that we have to offer and, um, you know, telling the people about the packages because, you know, I, I'm in the drop game right now. We're doing droppers, um, but I'm really in the packages now. So for anybody who's into maintaining the God body, anybody who's in interested in cleaning that blood and opening up those lungs and purging out the brain of all those toxins and getting your elimination system back in order, you know, getting those bones strong again so you can get back in the God body status, you know what I mean? So you can get back to that state, you know, that's what we have here, you know on this end so anybody listening is more than welcome to message me facebook me email me uh whatever you need to do at you know hollywood decoded at kamani tate on facebook on kt.kamani at gmail um because i've been getting a lot of <laughs> people been calling me all week it's either through rich's show because oh yeah big up to rich me and rich are that's oh, absolutely so Oh my yeah, goodness! I went there. Yeah, man. I went there. That thing was that thing was all the way right. So you know, we 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 went in on that, and um and everybody's been hitting me up all week. I've been getting message after message, email after email. People just wanting to holler at me and and just get more information. So for anybody who's listening, you know, check me out. Go to YouTube, KT Arch Degree. Um, pull up all my videos. Check it out, and if you need further information, like I said, HollywoodDakota.com, KT.Kamani at Gmail, or you know, just message me on Facebook, and uh, and I'll get back in contact with you ASAP. Indeed. Yeah, man, it's time. It's time to do it, man. Stop talking about it, and you know, I got they gonna start calling me Swamp Thing around here, man. You already know. All right, let me make an announcement very quickly this weekend. Um, well, I just left Nicholas. Shout out to the Nicholas family. Our brother Ross Ben is oh, yeah. in the building. Yes, he was doing his thing in real time when I just left. All right, shout out to Ross Ben, Sister Cofunia. Shout out to King Simon. He was in the building. Shout out to Joel Benjamin. He was about to present. Shout out Monique, of course. Um... So like oh shout out Patrice she was in the building um, of course the KTL listeners the family was in the building you know um, I think what was like something had melted my heart there was a, a a youngster in the building she couldn't be no more than six years old you know what I'm saying and you know she was you know she had that that energy about it you could tell that she's an old soul and everything so she saw me. <laughs> And she pointed her finger. She's like, I look at you on TV. Yeah. I'm like, excuse me? She's like, I look at you on TV. And your brother, too. 
uh, at Alex. It was the most humbling experience, you know. Yeah, man. So that that just makes me ever so much more conscious of, you know, what the mission is and the language that we use. You know what I'm saying? And the energy and things of that nature. You know, we should always be talking in those cameras like we're talking to babies. You know what I'm saying? Um, even when we're talking to adults and we're giving them food and, and information, you know what I'm saying? You never know who's looking over their shoulder. You never know who's peeking, you know what I'm saying, under their armpit and looking at that screen as well, and they're absorbing everything you say. So what I noticed is that a lot of people exert a lot of energy unnecessarily on what they don't like on TV and you know, complaining about the programming and stuff like that. But if you have an opportunity to so be blessed to be on these airwaves and, and you know what I'm saying, to be broadcasting on one of these different platforms, you know what I'm saying, to sharing your information, just be mindful of, you know, what you're putting out there because you, you are a role model, whether you know it or not. You are something or someone, you know, you're someone that people are looking at and you're saying something that people are listening to. So, you know, there should be some level of responsibility to that, you know what I'm saying? And you got to let it register and, and marinate with you how you feel so fit because some people is perfectly um, okay with their delivery and their style and it works wonderful for them. You know, Bobby wouldn't be Bobby without Bobby being Bobby, you know what I'm saying? Um and there are others, of course, that that's that's the energy that they come in. That's their package. You know, shout out to our brother, Jonah Bay. You know, we had an opportunity to witness this brother's magic in real time. I've been hearing about it, and I was able to be a witness, you know what I'm saying, to this brother is bringing a, um, a flood, you know, and a fresh air of information that is so necessary and so needed because it's addressing a multiplicity of things that we've been grappling with as a quote-unquote community, and he got a lot of those solutions and answers, you know, tightly wound and packaged in one presentation. So um, you have to look forward to an upcoming show where that brother's going to come forth and lay, um, you know, some some startling, you know, spellbinding information out for the family, all right? Yeah, that's and, um, very... Yeah. Yeah, real talk. Yeah, that's necessary. That's about to go down. Do I have do I have so, a quick do I have a quick moment to to tell the, the fam just, a quick story real quick? Just one second. Let me mention tomorrow, Saturday on the thirty first at twelve PM to three thirty three PM, our brother Gaino Grills is gonna be out in Staten Island. All right, Studio seventeen, which is at seventy three Wave Street. All right, talking about that wave and that particle. Presenting the multidimensional self 2.0. Okay? So that is going to go down on Saturday. And I know that the brother also has a Reiki initiation class on Sunday. All right? Same location, I believe, out there in Staten Island, 73 Wave Street. And the brother has uh, extended an invite, of course, to KTL members. You know what I'm saying? You go out there, you're going to get the KTL treatment, all right? And this is an opportunity for you to uh, 
you know, fine tune your 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 skills, your energy skills, utilization of your um of your energy for healing. You did? Yeah, it is. Yes. Cool, yeah, cool. So you Yep, so um so I get up I get up to New York, everything's moving moving real fast, you know, I make it in the nick of time to Nicholas to start the event, go through the event, finish the event, go get on home, I'm working on the next event for Sunday, I'm up all night. Go to bed, my dad hit me up in the morning, he's like, Oh man, I forgot. I need you to be at Tom Mary Temple in an hour. And it was like, <laughs> I think you need to be need to be there at ten. And it was like nine something. He was like, "Look, there's a brother up there. I wanted you to take one of his uh, services. You need to roll up there and check him out." I jump up out of bed. You know, this was the day that snowed. I go out in the snow. I head up to Harlem. I'm all the way in Brooklyn in Bed Stuy at the moment. I hit all. I get all the way up to to Harlem, 126 Street. I go in there, and it's a brother named John Phillips. And he's dealing with um, a presentation on health. And when I walk in the door, he's in the middle of a sentence, and he's like, yeah, so in 1847, these four individuals got together, and this is how they created the AMA, the American Medical Association. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what did you just say? I said, brother, bring that back. So he brings it back, and he's like, yeah. You know how you see the old westerns and you see the butcher and you see the guy that pulls the bullet, you know, out the leg, and then you got the other guy who cuts your arm off and stuff like that. He was like, yeah, them cats wasn't getting no business. Nobody was coming to see them. You know why? He said, because as far as I can see, from horizon to horizon, everybody was going to the herbalist. The herbalist was making all the bread. The herbalist had all the business because people were getting healed. The folks would have whatever issues they right. had. They go check out the herbalist. The herbalist hooked the, the thing up. It'd be fixed, and then after some time, they'd learn it. They wouldn't have to keep coming. So that was the business. Just 150 years ago here in America, it was just herbs all day, all night, and then them cats got together, and for 50 years they were trying to get with the government to get some type of funding because they said the only way that we can get any business is if we make it illegal for what they do. I'm talking right. about I got lemon face up in the class because I'm hearing the history. You know, you always got an idea, but to hear it from the elder breaking it down from the research, it was tearing me up. So he was like, guess who he said was the first person to um, to uh, be their um, investor um, after 50 years of them trying, Rockefeller. Oh, what diabolical oh. devil? Okay, it was Rockefeller, huh? Yeah, Rockefeller. Why does that not surprise me? Yeah, yeah. Sterling, oh. Sterling Drugs. Sterling Drugs was his main money. Sterling Drugs was his main money. <clears throat> um, wow. The oil and all that, he wasn't making all the bread until he figured out the refining angle then he was getting a kickback from that. But his real dough was coming from his drug company with him pushing, you know, the pills and the arsenic and all that all that crap they was giving right. people back time. So he was like, yo, I'll give you all the money you want so that when you make this fraternal order, in which it makes it very difficult for people to be part of, and when it blows up, 
you have to make sure that you you have a constant business with me pushing all my drugs to the people, and here we are today. And I was like, whoa. Wow. <laughs> Rockefeller, <laughs> y'all. There it is. So just to let y'all know, me just running up to the Todd Mary Temple, I got that gem. That was a gem, a piece that I've been missing, that I've been tasting for. So, you know, 104, 106, 126. You know what I'm saying? Girl. That's it, 104, 106th Street between Lexington and Park. There are about 36 to 40 different services offered three, four times a day, seven days a week to Tom Mary Temple. It's a non-for-profit. So, you know, anybody in New York area or the surrounding areas, or if you in town visiting, please check them out. It's where it's at. And the brother tonight, the elder tonight, Kaba Hiawasa, will be there on Sunday doing his uh, presentation. So you can catch the brother there this Sunday. Yeah, doing the visual presentation of what you're going to end up hearing tonight. Uh, So, you know. Well, our brother, yes, is actually in the building. He's in attendance. It is. It's time. Yeah. Bring in Black Panther. It's the Black Panther. You understand me? So what we're going to do. Absolutely, we're going to read this subscription, all right, so we can set the stage, and we're going to go to the line and open it up and bring our brother forth, and let the show commence for the evening, okay? Again, I'm going to thank the family who checked us out this past Tuesday. You want to go into the archive, the hieroglyphics, or the metaphysics of hieroglyphics featuring uh, Brother Casual from the hieroglyphics, all right, out of the Bay Area, California. All right, that was an epic, epic presentation. I'm getting a lot of feedback for that. Check that out. All right. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's so much more. Uh, in the meantime, in between time, like we said, you can also check uh, Brother Rich's YouTube channel out. Uh, we just recently did a video with him. Up in Central Park, okay, uh, Black Magic 363, all right. Um, I yeah. TV, A.A. and Red just did a piece with him. You said who did what? I said A.A. and Red. Oh, just oh. Did a- yeah, 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 yeah. A.A. and Red on Sinetta TV. Definitely, you know what I'm saying, sign out of TV. Of course, February 8th, the great debate. Come and check us out. We're going to have Seamoss back in the building, new flavors, new designs. All right, we're back on our grind. You dig? You definitely want to be in the building. We're going to have more treats than that. Fully loaded, you know. We're working to make sure. We're working to see if KT the Arc degree can be up here as well. You know what I'm saying? So, we could do something B.I.G. that weekend. All right? I ain't getting no feedback, but we're going to make it happen. Um, join us as we welcome back the living legend, Kaba Hiawatha K. 
Committee. Do we recognize that the records left to us by our comedic ancestors were called hymns? This clearly conveys the fact it was important to relate the ascertaining of knowledge with music and melody. We live in a cosmic construct we all call the universe. A verse denotes tone in which you can amogrammically derive notes. Langston Hughes encoded within his classic, My People, a direct correlation with the hymn of Achen by Akhenaten. This example of our multidimensional selves will be explained in great detail by our esteemed elder, Kaba Hiawatha Pamini. Come be part of history as these two powerful doctrines are unified to provide confirmation to our people, to our glorified greatness. The symposium is in session, and with no further ado, family, we present to you from the 646-457. Peace. Peace to you, my brothers, the blue and the red pill, and to the family of the ledge. Great to be with you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We are also joined by KT the Octagree, our younger brother, the son of Edward Tate. Hotel the entire family is here. Yes. The entire right, family right. is here this evening to receive you, my brother. Welcome back. Well, I appreciate that, and I can see this is a family affair here. Oh, yeah. That's oh, the only way. Literally. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. You know, you know like the we were talking about family is here. Yes, yes, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to... Um, this presentation coming up, you know, I was really when uh, my brother George Edward and my sister Kosua invited me to be at the Tom Mary Temple. You know, the Tom Mary Temple is a is the temple for, by, and of the people. And I've uh, always admired the work uh, that's being done by George Edward and Kosua and the entire uh, group of. Um, conscious individuals that are really trying to do something for the Harlem community. And the Tom Mary Temple is an idea whose time has come. And as I was listening to you speak of the Tom Mary Temple, it's important to understand um, the, the scope and the breadth of experiences that our community can have when they come to the temple. Uh, it is a reminder of the great temples, the per-ankhs that we were exposed to, uh, within our own nations in the ancient world. And so I'm really very uh, happy and excited to be a part of this. And looking at our brother Langston Hughes, whose birthday is on Sunday, February 1st, and in studying his work, uh, Langston Hughes, along with many of the other great poets uh, that have uh, come through our community, I, I really admired, you know, the depth, even his poetry, that you'll find carved in the floor of the Schomburg Library about the rivers of the world and how he was able to be aware of this information that, you know, we in the 21st century and those who have come up over the past couple of decades, um, many times we, we believe that the information that we're experiencing is just coming to us. But when we look at the work of people such as um, 
Langston Hughes and County Cullen, uh, James Baldwin, uh, the speeches of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey, going back even to Martin Delaney in the mid-1800s. This information has been around a very long time. What we have to our advantage is we have uh, scholars such as John Henry Clark and Dr. Ben and Ivan Van Sertema, Jacob Carruthers and uh, uh, Nzinga Ratsubishi, uh, uh, Sister Riketi Amen. I could go through the list and almost be a libation of great scholars, past and present, who still live with us and still teaching, and many still young, such as Dr. Leonard and Dr. Rosalind Jeffries and James Smalls and Ashra Kwesi and the scholars that have come before us and done such great work. Langston Hughes was a brother. When you look at that poem, you see, I was um, working with a uh, doctor before, I should call him not before, or who we know as Dr. Asa Hilliard. And I remember in one of his presentations, he said that the African mind uh, is uh, the, the, the metaphor, figurative language, is ubiquitous to the African mind. And that made me have to go up into my dictionary and look up what that word ubiquitous means. And ubiquitous means it's all up in there. Uh, it's like asking the question, what part of butter isn't milk? And so the figurative language is very important. And uh, this Sunday we're going to talk about figurative language and what it is and how it's so important to us. When you look at hip-hop, the vocalization of hip-hop, which is rap, uh, you just get a sense of the richness of metaphor, simile, yes. flashbacks, foreshadow, personification. These are parts of figurative language that we as a people think, live, eat, sleep. It's all up in there. And even rap music is deeply steeped in figurative language. The same concept that uh, Langston used when he wrote that metaphoric poem, My People. This is the poem that we'll be talking about on Sunday. You know, the night is beautiful. You know, so are the faces of my people. You know, I mean, mm. it, it, that's a metaphor. Right. Because, see, a metaphor and a simile, the difference between a metaphor and a simile is that in a simile you use the word like or as in your comparison. So if he had said the night is beautiful like the faces of my people, that's a simile because he used the word like in comparing. But when Langston Hughes said, the night is beautiful. So are the faces of my people. He was making a direct comparison to the beauty of the right. night and the beauty of black folks' faces. You know, he said, the stars are beautiful. So are the eyes of my people. Okay, metaphor. He's comparing the stars to the eyes of black people. He also said, beautiful also is the sun, so is the soul of my people. So he's making direct comparisons between night and face, stars and eyes, the sun and the soul. Very, it, it's six lines long, but cosmically so powerful that that's exactly the same thing that 
the writers of the Aten text, or the hymn to the Aten, were doing when they wrote this, art, uh, this text, 125 lines of some of the greatest poetry. See, a lot of the text on the Egyptian walls, on the Kemetic walls, is, is not just writing. It's not just prose poetry, deeply steeped in figurative language. And it becomes so important, you know, even when we look at the work of um, our brother George Edward Tate, and we look at, at the books that he's written, when we look at that great poem, in, uh, The Black Brigade, uh, the, the, the poem is steeped in metaphor, but there's direct science behind the story that's being weaved as he goes through his words, and he uses just appropriately as the, as the book speaks of swords, he uses words like, like, a, like a fencer uses his sword. He, he uses it in a way that is just so profound and so beautiful. Comedians use it. Comedians use the same concept in their comedy. Some of the greatest comedians, I think one of the greatest historians was Richard Pryor. Chris Rock, the way they use their words and the stories they tell in their words, no matter what the language, no matter how we feel about what the young rappers are, are, are speaking about, you, you get behind that and you deal with the story that it's telling. And this is what we're going to do this Sunday when we go through and study the way I would do it in a, in a language arts class. In fact, I don't even think that we are calling it properly when we call it language arts. I've been telling folk who homeschool their children not to call the acquisition of language, language arts. I tell them to call it the art of language because language is an art. And the word is so important to us as a people. Even when we speak to each other and somebody says something profound, the first thing we say is, yo, that's word, word, word up. So word becomes very profound for us. And we're going to talk about the importance of the word when we get together Sunday at the Tom Mary Temple. Powerful. That's it right there. And um, if I could elaborate on the point that you was making um, about about Tom Mary Temple and the synchronicities, um, I was at uh, Aquaba um, when I was up uh, when I was staying up in a in Brooklyn, and um, when I came down to eat breakfast, uh, <laughs> I met a sister down there, and the sister, you know, she was she was full of life, um, and we're talking and we're building. I'm telling her about the temple, and she's like, "Oh man, I heard of that temple. I, I wanted to come up there, you know, and check out some of the services." She was like, "When my husband comes down, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him that that you're the son of of the person that that that's actually in charge of it." And I was like. Yeah, I can't wait to meet him. So he comes down, and we're talking, we're talking. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we're doing the symposium, and this Sunday, uh, Kaba's going to be speaking. And they were like, Kaba? They was like, Kaba's my neighbor. And I can't, exactly. He was like, we were just talking, we were just talking the other day. You know, he, he hurt his leg, uh, so he was on his crutches. The brother, Yeah, man, I do 
Yeah, 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 yeah. He was like, oh, man, Carlos is my neighbor, man. He was like, yeah, he's been telling me about the place. He was like, oh, and you're his son? I was like, yeah. He was like, wow, such a small world. So I'm sitting right across from him. So I found, I thought you would find that quite interesting. Very interesting. I knew exactly who you were talking about the moment you said that. <laughs> Yeah, that was a powerful brother and sister. Very lovely, full of life, and we had a great conversation. Oh, man. We've spent many a day just standing on the corner just talking. That's it. You know, and, you know, know, I mean, there are wonderful uh, uh, people, and I know that sister works for the Board of Education. She's a phenomenal social worker. Right. And uh, we've shared so many stories about education and and about all the things that we need to do and – so, uh, I, you know, I mean, it's it's just a, a very small world when you're on this path. Exactly. Oh, exactly. You know, we know each other. Because we're doing the same work. That's a fact. We, we're yeah. after the same thing, right? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is such a great time because we have the opportunity uh, to be able to tap into many different resources. And, you know, one of the things about uh, Sunday when we do this presentation is that when, when people speak about, well, how do we teach, how do we, uh, how are we able to be, uh, to take the science and the math and all the subject areas that we know our children need to learn, how do we now bring this and take culture and now weave the two together? And this Sunday is going to be a phenomenal opportunity uh, to be able to show the community because the Aten text is an ode to the sun, to the power of the light and the heat energy of the sun, and how the sun impacts the earth. And so within this uh, poem that we start with Langston Hughes, we start with the art of language, and we start with metaphor and figurative language, and we learn to, we, we'll learn about signs and symbols and, and personification. Deep in the Aten text, there's personification. You know, when Langston Hughes is talking about the night is beautiful and so are the faces of my people, he's taking the the blackness of the night and then he is classifying it as beautiful. This is is dictionary material for our children to be looking up words and the thesaurus to look up words and to understand the meanings of words, the context. And then to take the beauty of the night, understanding the beauty of the night, understanding that the night sky is the cosmos, is the universe, the blackness, the melanin of the cosmos, and then take that beauty and then say, so are the faces of my people, so are the faces of black people. And so now you're taking what could be called the dialectic or the rhetoric of language or the art of language, and now you're, you're using that. Same thing we teach in the classroom is what we're talking about now, but we're talking about it from our perspective, from an African perspective. And we're able to look at this concept of the dialectic and the rhetoric to say the night is beautiful and black people are beautiful, and we're able to weave a comparison between the two. 
between faces and between the night sky. That's cosmos. That's science. Then in the second, he said, the stars are beautiful. And so are the eyes of my people. So now you have a concept of the stars, which is galactic history. Now you're dealing with a different type of history of the heavens, of astronomy. But now you have narrowed it from the cosmos or the universe to what the universe produced as it relates to stars. So there's science there. And then he takes the concept of our sun, which is solar history, the study of the sun, and then he compares that to the soul. And as we know, the word for sun in Spanish is soul. We also know that the Spaniards were impacted very heavily by the Moors. And so now we have to ask ourselves, where did that word soul come from? Because we know that there was no Spanish language until the 15th century. The Spanish language did not exist. It was drawn out of the Latin experience or the impact that the church had in the geographic location that we call the peninsula of Iberia, or what the Moors called Al-Andalusia. So now you're weaving a history, a geography, uh, the art, uh, the language. All of these goes into the curriculum that we need to teach our... And so I want to demonstrate to the community, for those of us who would like to take this curriculum to the next level, and I'll have DVDs with me for those that want to get deeper, because I could never do in the time I have in the afternoon to do everything, but... I'll, I'll have materials that the community can bring back with them to study it deeper, right. to get That's a right. sense of how to do it so that now they have the encyclopedia. And I'm going to talk about and show you that in the Aten text you have geology, the study of the earth. You have the study of, of the picture of the earth, the geography. There's even a point where the Aten text talks about melanin, where he talks about where the text talks about the fact that the sun is responsible for the differing complexions of the people on Earth. And so now, how would they have known that? They had traveled around the Earth to know that also, they said, and that that the sun is responsible for the differing of the language of the people of the world. Wow. Wow. So now, how would they have known that unless they were around people who spoke different languages and looked different than them, and they knew that it was the sun's light and heat energy that differentiated the complexions and the languages of the people of the earth. The Aten Ten talks about the fact that, Hail to the Aten, your rays pierce through the ocean to cause life. Now, how would they have known there was life on the ocean floor unless they had been there. So somebody in Kemet had to have been doing some scuba diving. They couldn't have made that statement unless they knew there was life on the ocean floor and that the sun was responsible for that life in the midst of the ocean. Critical thinking skills. Oh, <sighs> 
Wow. Wow. Brother Red. Brother Red. Somebody yes, has sir. me on, yeah, on, on, echo. on echo. Yeah, brothers, I'm here. Yes. I just kind of take a yes. pause to, to, you know, to hear your comments or however you want to do yes. what you do, because I don't yes. want this to become a lecture. I want this to become an interactive conversation. I feel you. I feel you. In light of what the brother is saying, saying, in the information, in the information that, I was reading earlier, that I was reading earlier, about DNA, yeah, that's on somebody yeah, that's else's. On somebody else's. On somebody else's thing. On somebody else's thing. KT, you got the. KT, uh, you got the. Uh, your phone on speaker. Your phone on speaker. Yeah, I, I had yeah, it on speaker. I had it on speaker. But I, I took but it I, off. I took it off. Echoing. Echoing. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, know why. I don't, it's, I don't know why it's. Uh, it's still vibrating like that. Call back, back in. Call back in. Um, um, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where it's coming from. So, so I can't even say. Can't you even might want to just probably put it on mute to see if that changes anything. Yeah, I had it yeah, on mute. I had it on mute. Oh, you had it on mute. I had it on mute. Okay, Red, and that's okay, not your Red, phone? That's not your phone. Uh, let uh, me take it off the speaker. Let me take it off the speaker. Is that better? Is that better? I still hear you I echoing. I still hear you echoing. Yeah, you still have an echo. You still have an echo. All right. Well, what right. I was leading well, to, what, I was, what I was trying to get at is the whole aspect of DNA and time, the fact that past, present, and future all exist at the same time. With that understanding of what he's saying about information that has already presented itself, from times of law, times and then of it law, seems to replicate itself with our literary giants and our greats that came forth, you know, some you know, 80 some to 100 years, to 100 years ago. Can we explain that, using, we explain that, same that using that same logic? In terms of, you know, I am a firm believer. Uh, well, you know, let me go back to a brother named Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum wrote a book called Dark Light. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the great challenges I think that artists have, they have an advantage that people who think in the literal all the time may not have. Artists live as African people live. The original peoples lived in six dimensions. Those of us who have been captured in the world that we're living in today live in three dimensions. We live in height, width, and depth. But African people, specifically artists, whether it's music or creative arts or performing arts, whatever it is, because of the nature of what they are put to task to do, they live in six dimensions. They live the way all African people live. Unfortunately, uh, European dominance or white supremacy captures us and keeps us in three dimensions, the only world that Eurasians can live in. So they're not going to let us escape, but artists have to escape. And uh, the six dimensions, as we look at them, the fourth dimension is time and space. The fifth dimension is light. 
and the sixth dimension is gravity. And I encourage the family to get to Our Life by Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum uh, to sort of kind of fill in uh, the breadth of his genius from what I am just trying to summarize here. Time and space, the way I think of it, author who writes a book, well, the story is already written, and the only thing that has to be done is for the story of the book to be lived out. So that when you have what might be called the Akashic Records or the DNA Library of all time and space, which we live in, artists already are living story that has been unfolded by a creative force eons ago. The story's already written, just like someone who writes a book. The story's already written. Someone who reads the book is only already going through what the author already finished before the book even got out there. And so when you're dealing with someone like Langston Hughes or um, a, a, a drummer like Lorac Bay, for those that go back to Harlem during the days of Lorac Bay when he had the drumming in Harlem and, uh, and the de- African dance in Harlem, and uh, going back to John Henry Clark and going back to Martin Delaney and uh, Marcus Garvey, all they were doing were characters in the creator's book of time and space. So all time and space right. is already written right. in our DNA. So that when Akhenaten and his scientists and his writers wrote the hymn to the Aten, and when Langston Hughes then wrote My People, they were only rewriting what had already been written originally eons before their existence. Mm. Mm. Now, so I when I was saying earlier... Now please continue. Now please continue. No, brother. I no. I had just put a like a a, a period at the end of that sentence. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to make any assumption that everybody in our audience knows exactly who Langston Hughes was or or is in his particular contribution to our story legacy. Can you speak about him as a man? Oh man, Langston Hughes was an author. He was a writer. Uh, he was the assistant uh, to Carter G. Woodson. Uh, he was a contemporary. He was born in 1902, I believe. That's the date he was born. And uh, he was a phenomenal writer. And he uh, wrote music like Thelonious Monk. I'm sorry. He wrote words like Thelonious Monk wrote music. He, uh, the, the, as, as an artist, he followed the entire movement of African people from the days of the Harlem Renaissance through the World Wars, well, through the, uh, World War I, uh, the Harlem Renaissance, uh, he lived through World War II, civil rights, Jim Crow, uh, sitting at the back of the bus, um, uh, not being able to drink fountains, sit, all of those things he lived through. And he lived through also the civil rights movement where the brother joined the ancestors um, later in the 60s, I believe it was. And um, he was able to chronicle it in poetry and, and in prose and in novel and in other ways that he established uh, himself as one of the, the, the examples of that 
whole movement of the 20th century. And I think that's what helps him stand out so much. Uh, for people, right. you will get a, right. a rich history of Langston Hughes if you Google his name. Um, pictures galore come down from him from a very young man uh, to his middle age uh, to his uh, mature years. And so uh, you can get the, um, his anthology of poetry and prose. You can get a sense of, of his thoughts. Uh, he uh, looked at and examined um, party and what uh, the uh, brothers and sisters of the younger generation were standing up for. And so he chronicled a very important time in our history, and he did it with a sense of acute understanding with critical skills. And his writing is just phenomenal. To give you another example of the curriculum, um, when I wrote my curriculum on melanin, I, uh, again, I, I, I always go to the art of language when I'm opening up things for children, uh, literacy as it relates to reading, writing, speaking, um, and, and uh, writing, uh, those four areas, uh, listening, speaking, uh, reading, and writing. And uh, I uh, open up my teaching of melanin using uh, Langston Hughes's poetry entitled Harlem Sweeties. Prior, in his four-part uh, comedy show back in 1977, also used um, Harlem Sweeties as a poem uh, to uh, demonstrate um, the beauty of the African woman who comes in all different complexions, black, bear, and he, he uses it as flavors, uh, sweet flavors, uh, concepts of cinnamon and persimmon, uh, blackberry, blueberry, you know, uh, uh, all right. the different colors right. of, of fruits and sweet things. He calls it Harlem Sweeties. And I use that as an opening exercise to teach melanin and a very and many of the complexions that we find our people uh, come in uh, worldwide. So uh, Langston Hughes was somebody who really had his finger on the pulse of the African experience from the uh, forgiving uh, to the very uh, angry, uh, ready to do damage. Uh, he lived during the times of Malcolm. He lived during the times of uh, Martin Luther King. He lived during the times of Emmett Till, and he recorded that. He was friends with some of the most dynamic people to ever live uh, during that century, not just the writers, but actresses and actors also. Friend to uh, Paul Robeson and W.E.B. Du Bois, and uh, exposed to uh, people who really had an impact on the movement of African people. And so Langston mm. Hughes was a very powerful voice, a very articulate voice for African people. And where exactly did he learn his skill of poetry? Oh, man, it's hard to say because he, he learned his skill in poetry. I, I would say probably, you know, there's a street named after him in Harlem. Yes. Um, I'm yes. not, I, I forget exactly where it is. It's in the one. Seventh Avenue. Seventh yeah. Avenue. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean, that's, that's where he really oh. gained a oh, great man. deal. I think it's on Morningside, or I think it's on Morningside Avenue. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm I got to mix up with Adam Clayton. 
Yeah, Adam Clayton Powell, the Seventh Avenue. That's Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. I'm talking yeah. about a particular yeah. street that's named after him. I think it's called Langston Hughes Place or something like that. I think it's. I think I could be. Uh, My apologies. I my apologies. Something's going on, something my boy. Going on, my boy. <laughs> but I mean, that's who Langston Hughes was. Uh, he was a. He really came to fruition uh, throughout his life, but he really came to fruition um, during the uh, Harlem Renaissance. And he's someone that we all should know. You know, we all should really know and understand, particularly our rappers, man. Any rappers should have a history of music. And should have a, a history of poetry. They should study everybody from Thelonious Monk, Tim Hughes, to Gil Scott Heron, uh, uh, to Tupac, uh, to uh, Biggie, you know, you know, to everybody. Everybody needs to be touched in rap. And, uh, and the further back you can go in the art, uh, the better grasp you have on the future of the art that you want to embrace. Right. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I mean, personally, now, I mean, personally in my household, in my household you, know, you know, we were definitely taught Langston Hughes, and I, I even remember in school, there was a he- the emphasis was a he- on him, you know. You know, I was an English major, was so, English major you know so, so we had, you had to, to read Langston. Um, um, is there any particular there any favorite, particular of, his? favorite of, his? of his? Is it this poem is that you're getting, poem into, that you're this getting into this Sunday? Or is there oh, another yeah, one that stands out? Well, you know, uh, um, uh, my people, of course. But, you know, I, you know, I'll be very honest with you. Um, my my favorite was always Harlem Sweet. I, I just always enjoyed uh, his flair for being able to use words and to create because – you know, like, by the time you finish reading Harlem Sweeties, I mean, you want to go out and get something sweet to eat. <laughs> right. You know, that's how, pro- right. that's how his ability... And then in making the comparison to African women, you know, whether it be vanilla or, or blackberry or whatever it was, he used and commanded, uh, he wielded the power of the word, actively involved in what he was talking about. And and I think that that is what is so important. And, you know, I think that that's also what our brother George Edward Tate means when he speaks of words being like swords. Uh, when we talk about the proverb, uh, you know, that that the pen is mightier than the sword. Uh, you can yes. do a lot of yes. damage. And you can also build great things with the word with a pen to write the word. You can really do a lot with that. And I think that when you look at the civil rights movement and when you think and look at the great orators from Marcus Mosiah Garvey to Booker T. Washington to W.E.B. Du Bois, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, when you are dealing uh, with uh, Ida B. Wells, you know, Ida B. Wells was someone, Professor John Henry Clark said that, that is a woman that needed to be multiplied on the earth a couple million times. Her wow. ability. Wow. You know, Ida B. Wells really was, really, when you think about what she did, although she'll never get credit for it, 
she was a very powerful force behind the woman's movement. Susan B. Anthony studied the words of Ida B. Wells. And when I remember there's a story about when Ida B. Wells got married, uh, uh, Susan uh, B. Anthony got concerned and wanted to know why uh, Ida B. Wells wanted to get married. And Ida B. Wells said, marrying my man is part of my life, you know. I mean, she had, she had the power of understanding the role of women, but not the animosity and the anger not to love them at the same time. Like, unfortunately, right. there are women, right. there are some, not all, but there are some, particularly in those days, that had animosity towards men because of the unfortunate treatment of women. And I can understand why they would be upset. But it's a sad thing when your anger brings you a bitter heart that you then put all men into the category. And what Ida B. Wells was able to do was to fight for women's rights and be prolific in that fight, but at the same time be able to see the, 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 the great beauty of men and the need to be able to become one with them, such as marriage does. And so Ida B. Wells was a, a very powerful force to be dealt with and, of course, had a great deal of impact on the work of uh, Langston Hughes as his work impacted her also. So I think that there's some really dynamic things going on. And, of course, being the secretary to Carter G. Woodson, you can see the impact that he had on what would bring forward what was then called Negro History Week that became Black History Week that has become African American History Month. And I'm just talking about it being 24-7, 365.25. And so Harlem Sweeties and, and, and also um, the poem on rivers that's carved in the floor of the Schomburg Library is another very uh, powerful um, poem that Langston Hughes wrote. But I do have to say that being given this assignment and this request of, um, of my people has brought the poem my people to my consciousness in a way that it wasn't there before. I had read it. I had seen it. It's six lines. It's not long at all. Um, but I had been aware of it. I read it. Uh, I enjoyed it. But in making uh, this study over the past uh, few months uh, at the request of uh, Brother George Edwards uh, has brought a new meaning to it for me. And so I think that my right. people right. has become one of my favorites now also. Indeed. Indeed. Do, do you have it in Indeed. front of you? Do you have it in front of you? I don't have it in front of me, but I, but I have committed it to memory. Okay. Would okay. you care to share yeah, it? Would you care to share it? I don't oh, want to lose sure. the opportunity to I mean, have a yeah, family yeah, with us here. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the, the poem goes, you know, uh, you know the, um, the night sky is beautiful. So are the faces of my people. The stars are beautiful. So are the eyes of my people. Also is the sun. So are the souls of my people. And that says it all, man. 
You wow. know, because wow. the first line, the night sky is beautiful. So are the faces of my people. You're dealing with the history of the universe. The universe. Then when yes, he says yes, the stars are beautiful, the stars are the living forces that came out of the universe. And so now you're dealing with what might be considered cosmic history or the living history or the living essence of what's in the universe or the night sky. You're dealing with blackness, but you're dealing with the brightness of stars, but so are the eyes of my people. And then he takes a particular star, our star, our sun, and says beautiful also is the sun, and so are the souls of my people. And so now he gets down on our, our solar system, our earth, and now he is taking it to a more specific level. So he starts it very general, talking about the universe. Then he gets into stars, and he's talking about the cosmos. And then he gets into... Um, um, the actual sun and earth science, and now he's dealing with another type of science, organic life. So when you look at the faces of people, they are the general beauty of what the universe is. But then to seek the life out in the face, you look to the eye. You know how they say the eyes tell everything? That the eyes are both a, uh, are, are, are the windows, and the wall Windows, right. to your soul. You see, that's how you look in on something. That's how you see their life, through their eyes. And then the sun is actually what comes out of the eyes and what tells you if, in fact, you are looking at the eyes as windows, then you're looking at a person's soul. And that becomes very important as it relates to getting more specific. So just like you go from the universe to the cosmos, to the sun slash earth, you go from the faces of black people to the eyes of black people to the souls of black people. Mm. And then you look at the Aten text, and the Aten text now, over 125 lines, further defines what Langston Hughes spoke of in six. The universe, the cosmos, and the sun, which brings forward life on earth. Now, now as it pertains to those particular hymns, as well as some translations that I've read in the Emerald Tablet, you know, we say a lot about the hymns, not much about what it's not. But what amazes me is that is the translation, the translation of these hymns, as well as others, as well as others, and other texts, and other texts. You know, we could even you know, go to the Quran and look at certain, um, certain um, surahs in Arabic, or what have you. It's amazing to me it's how, to me when you translate when these words into these English, words they still rhyme. They still rhyme. They still have a rhythmic, a rhythmic cadence. A rhythmic cadence. Mm. How did I answer that out? Figure that out. Because all language came from Africa, so no matter how you say it, 
just like you said, there's only one universe, uni, one word. And that one word rhymes with everything within itself. Everything comes from us, my brother. And when I say us, I am talking about the, the African family, period, which is the human race. So everything rhymes with us. Because the very nature of life is vibration, and vibration rhymes. You know, vi- vi- you know vibration-cation of rhyming. You know, when you see the, the souls of black folk, that's the book that our brother W.E.B. Du Bois wrote, The Souls of Black Folk. Right. right. You know, when you see what we do, you know, when you think about all that has happened, all that has happened to us as a people, yet somehow, some way, we were able to hand down, even though part of our legacy has brought great pain, and there's no question about that, in that great pain there's great beauty also, and we also carry that. And we carry it all around the world where we go. And the one thing that troubles people who would wish to oppress us or downpress us, is the fact that there is nothing that they have ever done that has ever stopped us. And there is nothing that they will be able to do that will ever stop us. And that frightens them very much. And so that our abilities in our hymns and in our stories and in our comparisons of the good and the bad all rhyme because it all comes back to the universe. That's what Bob Molly meant when he said, All I've ever had is a redemption song. The last song on his last album that we knew of. Yes. Redemption yes. song. That's what he said. You know, won't you help to sing this redemption song? All I've ever had is this redemption song. And that's our story. Bob Marley put it in a most wonderful song, but that's our story. All we've ever had is a redemption. And what redemption? The redemption of the soul. Eurasian people are going to wrestle with this issue over the next century. It literally is going to haunt them. They're going to do it to themselves. They're doing it as we speak. Language is such an interesting thing. Uh, it is great beauty in language. And the way in which we weave and wield this powerful word within our structure And the way we do what we do and how we do what we do, profound, uh, it, it profounds and confounds the world. Because they're trying to figure out, how can we do this? Yes. Yes. So consistently, so consistently and, you, know, you know, under threat, under threat duress and coercion and all of these other conditions. But well, we do it so gracefully. Well, we do it so gracefully. Absolutely. 
And, you know and how perfect and that must be? Absolutely. And I'm speaking of the everyday people. I'm not just speaking about the great minds and the names that we call every day in our libations. I'm talking about the people that we, that we will never know. Because even though we call great names and we do have great people and we do call great names and they do deserve to be called, there are millions of our ancestors who we may never know their name. We oh, may indeed. never know they oh, existed as it relates to on earth knowing it. They are within us. It's, they're in our DNA. But I'm speaking of the names that we call in our libations. Well, there's a history behind them. We, we, we know them. But there are millions of our people we will never know, and they live as much. See, that's why I tell folks sometimes, you don't have to go back to Egypt for a classical African civilization of the American mm. hemisphere mm. and find a classical African civilization. That was a classical Speak African on that. civilization. Speak on that. By that I mean it doesn't – what makes you classical is not the throne that you sit on. Because some of us have to sit on a dirt road, but for us, we made that a royal throne. So that being classical and being royal is not the Eurasian concept of sitting on a throne. It is not a comedic nesut viti type of royalty and making the very best out of those times. And our ancestors on the plantation did that. When they were given the very worst of foods, they put herbs and spices with knowledge of Africa, of the herbs and spices, and made that food a delicacy. So much so that people come to America today and cannot control that they visited Harlem unless they can show them a menu from Sylvia's hmm. restaurant. Hmm. We have, they, took, they gave us the worst, and we made it a delicacy. We have what's called the Midas. The very little that we ever had, we made musical instruments to the point that we made such sweet music. They have to hire us. We played baseball with made-up uh, balls that were not the regular baseballs, with sticks as bats, and we, and, and we played ball so well, they have to include us. We took balls that we made up and threw them in the garbage cans, and they had to bring us into basketball, no matter what they did. We were able to, in spite and despite that, rise to the occasion. That, to me, is a classical African civilization, and we should study it that way. The enslavement of African people isn't a badge of disgrace. It's a symbol of honor and class and dignity. Yes. Because no matter what they did to us, as Dr. Maya Angelou said, still we rise. And so while the enslavement process, the ma'afa, the terroristic disaster, is to be understood in, in its totality, at the same time, it is because here we stand. We are still here, upright, still moving forward. You want a classical African civilization? Go back to Selma, Alabama. Go back to Birmingham, Alabama. Go back to Montgomery. Go back to the Nation of Islam with Malcolm and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. 
Right. See, that is a classical African civilization. We were able to take the two sides of the same hide and show people that it was one thing in totality. It wasn't about being from Martin Luther King or from Malcolm X. It was about taking the best and leaving the rest. And so as a people, you don't have to go back to ancient African history to find the classical African civilization, because quite frankly, I believe that we are living in one just as we speak right now. I think that we are acting. Us from going on the radio and TV. So what do we do? We got blog talk and YouTube. Yes. Yes. This program, Know the Ledge, is part of that classical African civilization. The Tameri Temple is an example of a classical African civilization. We are a classical African civilization. Yeah, we can go back to Egypt, and we can go back to Kush. We can go back to uh, West Africa, to Nak, and to Ghana, and to Mali. And yes, they are classical African civilizations. But let us not lose sight of the very classical African civilization that we are creating for our children yet unborn. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. Right here, right now at 1030 tonight, this is part of the classical African civilization to know the ledge. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Uh, second that. Uh, second that. Yes, indeed. My brothers yes, that are on the phone with me. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Yes. Yes. I'm here too. I'm here too. So I won't hear Yes, we're waiting for some yes, input from the brothers. From the brothers. Oh no! Ain't, oh, ain't no, nothing. Ain't nothing. So got this. So does have an echo. He just needs to keep information. Yeah, the ancestors put yeah, us in the echo chamber. The echo chamber. You like y'all like, need to just listen to tonight. There it is. Like we're surrounded by the real campfire around the fire, but you're in the center. You know, as as the elder in the village telling the stories. We don't supposed to cross that fire. We're in the temple and you know, as I as I look at our experiences and as I look at us as as we move through this day by day and step by step, uh, you know, I see such an opportunity for us as a people, uh, in terms of what it is that we have to do. Um, I see sometimes people try to confuse the issue. Um, I see that there are issues that come up that as human beings we, we grapple with. But, you know, our people are so resilient. And again, I go back to the, I go back to the people of the temple. If there were not people, there'd be no reason for the temple. The temple is for the people. And I've often found that in this, in, in this con- construct that we live in, in the world that we're living in today, 
Everything is based around celebrity. Everything is based around individuals who, for one reason or another, have been given something that everybody else hopes to have. And one of the things that I've noticed about many of the peoples who are celebrated are some of the most mixed-up people and troubled people I've ever known. And some of the people who are the everyday people who are on the block doing their thing, going to work, whether uh, some may not even have a job. Some of them may sell. Some of them may wash car windows, uh, wherever they find themselves. Some of them have more spirit and soul than the people who have all the money. In fact, some of the saddest people I know are the people with the most money. And we as a people have got to come to realize this and begin to appreciate the, 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 the simple things in life. And uh, to first to thine own, you know, we really have to look to ourselves for our answers and for those things that we need to put together. Because if we don't, we will be challenged as, as, as the years go on. You know, we have to go back to that what might be considered the plantation mentality, which is not a, an enslaved mentality, but it is an appreciation of all things that happen to you in life. That is what the plantation uh, mentality is. It, it is that thought where you have got to take what you have around you. You know, when I was growing up, there, there was no store to go to to buy, uh, you know, a scooter. We used to take a milk carton and a slab of wood and broken skates and make our own uh, scooter, do on our own. And that was in the appreciation of the little things. Those things that brought uh, a pleasure to us as growing up, you know, playing in the bushes. You know, we used to play in the bushes. Uh, we, we, you know, we didn't need elaborate uh, technology. We just had what was around us. Our technology was nature. Indeed. And there's nothing wrong Indeed. with having an appreciation of technology. It is just to understand that technology is only one aspect of a much larger picture of life. And we have a wonderful opportunity now uh, to be able to come back to that point and begin to do the things that we need to do for our community. And education and knowing the ledge is part of that. We got to know our legend. We got to know where we've been and what we've done and appreciate our ancestors for all that they did. You know, what Langston used Poem, uh, poets of today, great as they are, struggle as they do, did not face what Langston used to face. Not at all. Not at all. You know, to get his work out, he had to find somebody that would be willing to publish his work. And, right. and, you, and, know, and you know, when I spoke earlier I spoke about... Earlier about was it known known how he went about developing his style. style. We know that that during the time of his infancy and his birth, birth, there was 
a strong emphasis, a strong on, emphasis keeping on the quote-unquote Negro illiterate, you know what I'm saying? So there was a threat, so level, was a threat associated level associated with the written word, with the written word you know, with literacy, you know, with literacy and things, of that nature. things of that nature. So, so for someone for such as himself, not only come along, not only come along and, um, and um, you know, embrace you know, embrace. The platform of poetry, but he's considered a master. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's it's like trying to climb a set of stairs with a hundred pound weight on your back. As difficult as it may be, as you get to the top, your legs are real strong. So the more pressure they put on you. Exactly. In your success, despite that weight, you become stronger than those who put the weight on you in the first place. And so to see our brother Langston to go through those stages of life from the early 20th century and move through this process, you've got to have respect as, as you're speaking of the idea of not allowing peoples of African descent to be able to study and to learn. Did he learn, but he became a master at it. You have to admire that brother's spirit and tenacity. And not only that, but there were other writers who would go on uh, to maybe be very general in their writing. But he made it his business to always write about his people and the beauty of his people, the power of his people. So even that was another challenge he had to overcome because the major people doing this poetry did not want that type of information out in the general public. Yes. Yes. Poem like My People, where he's speaking of, of and comparing astronomy to his people, that, that he did so well in just six lines. And then to look at a comparative analysis of probably one of the greatest poems ever written, the Aten text, the hymn to the Aten, and the Aten being just wasn't the sun. It was the light and heat energy from the sun that was the Aten. So to have that and to make that comparison, you know we're going to have a good time on Sunday at 2 o'clock. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You know, I've, I've just completed, uh, as afternoon, I put the final touches on the presentation. I put my final touches on the actual um, uh, words that I'll be dealing with, the different aspects. Because, you see, to understand it, we have to go through history and geography. We uh, have to understand the history and geography of Langston Hughes. We have to understand uh, the times that he came through that would bring forward a poem like My People. And then after that, we have to go through the, the geography and history of the 18th dynasty. We have to look at and study the various Nesut, Biti, or what's called Pharaoh. We have to go through the Thutmose uh, and the uh, Amenhotep. 
and we have to go through the history of a people to talk about what would bring forward this science encyclopedia that would so clearly discuss the powers of the sun. The same thing that we teach in solar classes today is exactly, in fact, I believe it even surpasses what we teach today to the education of the sun. Not only that, but the Aten text is said to be where Tony Browder, in Now Valley Contributions, he runs a side-by-side parallel with some of the uh, the, the texts and, and, and parts of the Aten text and shows where Psalm 104 came from in the Bible. If you read a book called Akhenaten and Moses by Akhbet Osman, you come to realize that Akhenaten really is the historical figure upon which the mythological Moses is based. And I tell folks, don't believe me. Don't you believe me? You see, you know, everybody, like, folks reach out to this movie called Exodus. You know, this movie just recently on the battle between Moses and Ramses. And they uh, said to me how concerned they were, and rightfully so, that um, the figures of Moses and Ramses looked like Asians and were played by Eurasians. Mm-hmm. They, asked mm-hmm. me, they asked me what I thought about that. I said, well, you know, that's my second problem. You know, my second problem is that they were, that Moses and Ramses were based on Eurasian people. They depicted Moses as a man that looked like a Eurasian. They say, well, if that's your second problem, what's your first problem? I say, well, my first problem with the story is that Moses never existed. So it wouldn't make a difference if you made him green. He's a mythological figure that never existed. And the real Moses, the real historical figure that is considered to be the heretic, the one that downed and brought to their knees the Amen priesthood at the end of the 18th dynasty, is the actual person that we today call Akhenaten, who was born Amenhotep IV. And when he decided that he wanted to take away the power of the Amen priesthood, he took away the power because uh, Kemet was a theocracy. Kemet was a place where the rulers were the spiritual leaders as well as the political leaders. It was a theocracy. Theocracy, right. Theocracy, right. And that Akhenaten didn't like the way in... Say again. The priesthood. priesthood. Yes, the priest and the priestesshood. Because sisters had a lot of power in Kemet. A lot yes. of power. Yes. And so in or- he felt that they were taking advantage of the people. And you see, Akhenaten was a poet. He was uh, someone who loved life and beauty and the grandeur of nature. Yes. Yes. And he did not heed the warnings of the Amen priesthood when he was telling them, don't let the Assyrians up in here. 
The last time we let Assyrians up in here without chasing them out of town, you got to chase the crazy ball head out of town. Last time we allowed them in here, them Hicksocks came up in here and tried to take things over. And Akhenaten was a, a, a person of great love of the human family and said, oh, but they're, 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 they're not like that anymore. And the Amen priesthood said, brother, open your eyes. Understand who you're dealing with. You're dealing with a people who are fundamentally barbaric and savage. And they will never change the way in which they act. And so I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in Hotep the yeah. fourth, went against the Amen priesthood and his mother Ty, the Cushite sister. Yes. And yes. Uh, moved the capital from, the, uh, from, from Lower Kemet to what we call Tel El Armana, or what's called Aket Aten, the horizon of the Aten. And he, and he changed the capital. And he uh, took the power away from the Amen priesthood and put the power into the uh, theocracy of the Aten. And it wasn't long before the Amen priesthood conspired and literally killed him. And the people who were the Atenists that followed this Akhenaten, who changed his name from Amenhotep IV to Akhenaten, what they decided to do was to follow him and attempt to revive his Atenism. And with these Africans, who were Akhenaten's followers, came the Assyrians that he was allowing into the country. And out of this would come the people that we call the Haibris, or the ones who crossed over, because that's where the word comes from. Haibri means the ones who crossed over. Don't believe me. Get a book entitled Kemet and the Worldview. Read the essay by Yosef Ben Levi, the first and second intermediate period, and get a sense exactly of who the Haibris are, who would later become the Hebrews. And the leader of these Hebrews would be called Haibrihim, the leader of the ones who crossed over, and that's where we get the name Abraham from. Haibri. Abraham. Abraham. And Haibri, which is where we get the word Hebrew from. And, and I had a Jewish scholar in my audience one time say, you know, another word that is used is Jabil. The J is changed to A, just like you have uh, um, um, Jehovah. Um, yes. The H is uh, same way, you know. You have Yeshua, um, and uh, you have the concept of Jehovah could not have been Jehovah because the J didn't exist. So you have Yahweh, and out out of that comes uh, this concept of Messiah, or or the one who is come, Ayumez. I mean, this is a history, man. This is in the book of the coming forth today by night. I tell folks, don't believe me. Just do the research. So, 
Why do you think that these guys guys can't seem to find that at these debates? debates? Hold on. Say that again. Why do you think that these guys can't seem to dig that up for these debates? Well, I think that the debates are going to bring people to the same point. And, and, and I think that, you know, like I tell people, you know, debates are very healthy. If conducted properly and in the name of peace. And if people don't get personal, the winners are not the people that present both sides. The winners of debates are the audience that come and take the best and leave the rest. The ones who take the sense of the nonsense and keep on keeping on. Debates give you an opportunity well, to see well. two different views and be able to take the best and leave the rest. The audience is the winner, not the debaters. Indeed. I mean, Indeed. coming I mean, from a, a collegiate uh, background, background, being that, being you know, that, you're part of you know, the part of public the school system and, and what have you, is this the, 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 the general, the, the general um, standard um, platform for debates, or is there an entirely different way that the debates are done? That, that you know our yeah. community seems so our to be seems to be overlooking on leaving overlooking out. Overlooking out. Well, I think that I you know I think that a debate is like a boxing match, and while Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. Or, if you want to take any of the other boxers, Brother Floyd and who he fights, before they fight, they shake hands. After the fight, they hug. The bottom line is, the better person wins. But in a debate, there is no winner as it relates to a boxing match, but the spirit of the debate has to be a handshake in the beginning to be a level of respect on each side of the other's abilities. And so it's important that as we move through these types of discussions, that we keep that in mind at all times. Never underestimate your opponent. You know, I um, I took a class when I was in college. Um, I uh, my background, my my degree was in politics, and one of the classes that I had to take was diplomacy and negotiation because I was I was interested in working at the UN and. One, one of the classes that I took for that track of study was diplomacy and negotiation, which we're talking about back in 73, 74, 1975. And um, when I took this class, diplomacy and negotiation, 
um, our professor had written a book. It was entitled Dear Arab, Dear Israeli. And what he decided to do was he wanted to create a debate in the class on the Arab and the Israeli conflict. And he put two pieces of paper in front of the classroom and told the class, you're talking about a class of a very strong 30 to 40 students. He said, this I'm going to put up here, I'm going to put Palestinian, and over here I'm going to put Israeli. And I want you to come up and I want you to sign under the group that you are going to represent. Now, I don't have to tell you that the students of African descent, including Spanish-speaking Africans, the brothers and sisters from Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic and Jamaica and Haiti, myself, uh, some of what might be called progressives. I'm afraid of that word. I don't know what that means. But let's just use the word mm-hmm. now so that we can. Mm-hmm. But these were not people of, of African descent. These were people of Eurasian descent. But they were ones that fought, so to speak, for the rights of the Palestinian people. Or, well, let's just leave it at that. And you saw the line for the Israelis. They were all people of probably Jewish faith or Eurasians themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Class ends, and we all go back. Uh, you know, we go back home. But next class now, he brings the list out, and what he has done is that he took off a cover that was on top of the piece of paper. Everybody that signed up for the Palestinians really had signed up for the Israeli. And everybody that signed up for the Israelis signed up under the Palestinians. So what he did was he was explaining to us that in diplomacy and negotiation uh, the brother's line just flipped. He will be calling back in shortly, family. Hello? Red, you hear me? KT, you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't got an echo no more. All right. So the My echo man. was coming from, yes, the echo must have been coming from his phone. Okay. Yeah, sir, we yeah. going to get to the phone. Huh? Oh, it's from, um, it's from Kaba, or the Kaba's phone. Yeah, yeah, his 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 uh yeah his phone. So uh, we'll wait for him to call back in. I don't know. Okay. He probably had it on speaker or something. I mean, it's all we'll good. See. You there, know? yeah, brother goes from the six four six. Brother Cobb, you back with us? Peace. Yeah, brother man, back. We must hear the no phones though. Indeed. Um. Yeah, we found out where the echo was coming from. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, everything's so all right. So you were saying, you were saying, yeah, everything's okay. You yeah. were saying that so the, the professor, right? 
really demonstrating to us that if you're going to negotiate with somebody, you have to be as sensitive to their side as to your side. So it caused us, who signed up to be Palestinian, to study the Israeli side of the issue. And it made the Jewish students and the Eurasian students study the perspective of the Palestinian. So I tell that story as it relates to debates, so that you have two opposing sides. Yes. You have two sides that differ in many ways from each other. But to be an effective debater, to really be able to understand the debate at its highest level, you have to think like the person that you are debating against to be sensitive to their history and to what they're fighting for in order for you to understand why what you're fighting for is so important to you. And I've often remembered that along with what my mother often told me, and that is that if you want to overcome those who wish to oppress you, you have to think like that. Because you have to think like them, you said? Yes, hello? Your phone might have skipped out. Hello? Yes, brother. Yeah, you said in order to defeat them, you have to think like them, correct? Yes, absolutely. That's that's what my mother used to tell me. Because as long as you think like you, you will always come to your conclusion, which will always fail. And that's why they're oppressing you, because you're not thinking like them and not understanding them. And this is why when I view peoples of Eurasian descent, which are Europeans and Asians together, I understand exactly why they're doing what they're doing. In fact, not only do I understand what they're doing, but I am so sensitive to their psychology, I realize that if I was like them, if I were them, I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what allows me to be able to counter most of the time right. what it is that they're attempting to do. And that's what we bring to the debate. Bring your side, but respect and understand the other side. In your humble opinion, from your observation, because um, you've you've been here for a minute, you've seen a lot of things. Uh, you've seen a lot of ebbs and flows in terms of you know the different waves that have overtaken this community when it comes to quote unquote consciousness, right? So. What would you gather and and say is at the underpinning of the nature of these debates? You know, why do our brothers think that it might be necessary to uh, engage in a mental joust with information? You know, is this something that is uh, spilling over from maybe your generation? Is this unsettled affairs between 
the Kamishans and, and you know, the, the Hebrew Israelite school of thoughts, did people get along with Ben Amin? Like, what was going on at the time that, you know, Dr. Ben, Dr. Ben Yakin was going to Kemet? Was he edifying the Hebrew historical aspects of his lineage as well? Was that included? Was it ever discussed? You know, at, at a time that maybe we weren't even alive and we didn't understand this. I um, was introduced to Dr. Ben when I was a young man. Dr. John Henry Clark introduced me to uh, Dr. Clark many years ago, and I um, had a sense. I went to Egypt with Dr. Ben in 1983, and I returned in 1987. I have uh, listened to Dr. Ben. I have studied with Dr. Ben. I have done projects with Dr. Ben, done them jointly with Dr. Ben and Dr. Clark. I have never felt that Dr. Ben, in his Hebrew lineage, I never felt that he separated himself from the comedic African legacy. Right. He spoke as a brother raised in a Hebrew tradition who understood the Africanness of who he was. He understood to me, this is how I feel. And I think that this exercise, and one of the reasons why I participate in the debate, as I have done consistently, whether in the audience or moderating them, as I will on February 8th at the Alhambra Ballroom, and when we did the National Black Theater between Brother Polite and Brother Dr. Ali Muhammad, the reason why I participate sincerely is because I believe as an elder, it is my responsibility to let the young brothers and sisters know whatever your persuasion is or may be that I love you and I respect you and I honor you. And as an elder, I am here to support you, to let you know that whatever it is that I can do to support you, as Dr. Clark did for me, I will do for the younger brothers and sisters that are coming through this process. I will not turn my back. I will not negate the importance of the debate or rap music. Do I have questions? Do I have concerns? Of course I do. But I have more concerns over an elder who would not embrace the younger people for whatever they may be doing and going through. So that whatever is going on, an elder in the room, whether it be Rosalind Jeffries, Queen of Four, James Smalls, myself, whoever it may be, our presence in the room is to tell our younger brothers and sisters and our elders 
that we are together on this. And whatever I may agree or disagree with is not the point. I am a moderator. And I am there to ensure that things go smoothly, respectfully, with integrity and dignity, and that we follow ma'at, balance, truth, justice, and reciprocity. This is something young people got to get out of their system. These debates come from YouTube. They come from books that have been brought down uh, through the years, whether it be John G. Jackson or Chancellor Williams, Drusilla Dungy Houston, whoever it is. And so this is the time that we come together, and if the debates is one of the uh, vehicles used, so be it. If a presentation is the vehicle used, so be it. I can deal with whatever, however it comes. But the one thing I can't deal with is not being willing to be a part of the process with our community. I love our people right. unconditionally. Right. And however it comes out is how it comes out. You're going to be there with the children. I'm there. I'm there, and I let them know that. I'm there. And I'll be there as long as I possibly can. And that means when I am no longer physically on this level and I've moved on to the next life. Not the afterlife, but the next life. But I will be there. And I have a very serious problem, brother. And I'm not speaking about the conscious community, so to speak. I'm speaking about the role of the elder and the younger in our society in general. I believe that elders, some, not all, some have forgotten what it's like to be young. I was once young. Mm -hmm. I was full of fire, brother. I was full of fire. I was full of questions. I was full of anger. And and I know I, I never forgot that feeling. And right. I respect that in young people. And there is a, a gospel song that I often think about, and it says, to keep your lamp lit but trim. When you're young, the fire sometimes can get out of control. At the same time, if a fire gets out of control, you don't want to put the fire out. You just want to trim it. Make That's sure right. that it gets under control. But you never put the fire out. And I admire the fire in young people. That's what you're supposed to have. That's what helps you be our warrior to protect the community. I like that. I want that. My brothers and my sisters who may be listening, we have to know the difference between a friend, an enemy, and an ally. And sometimes we tend not to know the difference between a friend, an enemy, and an ally. That's that's an excellent point. I want to press the pause button on that. We'll get back and expound on that point when we come back from our meditation. Then we'll get into some callers, okay? So, family, that's let's good. get ready for the eleven eleven meditation, okay? So we can uh, bring this sense of calm and balance, not only to this conversation that we're having, but overall 
the overall over encompassing conversation about family, about this debate, about brothers, about allies, about you know, we are all family at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? And that's what the uh final conclusion will be and that's what we need to get at. So we're gonna send this frequency across the world. It's the eleven eleven Om Mani Padme Om meditation. Okay, family. Find yourself in a dark place. Feet flat to the floor, back straight. All right, hands to your knees. Tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth, pulling your air from your abdominals. Exhaling out of your mouth. And we will see you on the other side, okay? Shortly.
Okay. Peace, family. We are back in the building. Welcome back. Gather yourselves. I'm going to give you a second to recalibrate. Hey, Brother Carver, you back with us? Peace. Peace, I'm here. Yes, indeed. Brother Carver, you with us? I'll give it a second. You know that meditation does have a tendency to take people to another realm. Okay, family. I'm just going to give them a second. I'm going to go and play this commercial with one of our sponsors for the evening. All right. KT, the arc degree, I understand you have some information. For the people, we'll get back to that soon. From times of lore, ancients believed gold aided in prolonged lifespans and cured many diseases. It is proven to enhance mental astuteness and sharpen intuition. Gold aids in optimal bodily function and increases electrical conductivity and cellular electrical impulses. Gold can balance energy fields and is beneficial for opening and balancing the crown, heart chakra, and the third eye. One of the main benefits from an active third eye, or pineal gland, is the ability to have lucid dreams. This elixir of life is now available in two ounces for an amazing low price of $49.99. Our bodies are our temples, and soul gold liquid drops is essential to our transformation. Order now. Go to www.soulgoldbiz.com today. Yes, indeed. Peace, Brother Cabo. Brother Cabo, are you there? Oh, okay. My apologies. Brother's line dropped, but he is in the call queue. Open up his line right now. Peace, Brother Cabo. Hey, Brother Man, can you hear me now? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Welcome oh, back. Yeah, yeah, before okay. I could hear you. But I couldn't hear you. I don't know what happened. Okay, but you we're know, here now, brother. Thing is retrograde. Happened. Yeah, we're in the building. You know, persevering and what have you, silver surfing. I want you to um, continue on that point that you left us on. That was important. What was the last thing I said, bro? Um... We were talking about the nature of the uh, quote unquote debates and, and then, the um, relationship between the elders and the youth and the elders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Because I said a number of things. Yes. I, you know, absolutely. You know, the main point that I want to make uh, more than anything else is that when you return back to our community, we were all there together. And we all interacted with each other. And no matter what may have been happening 
there was a continuity and there was a consistency of the relationship between all peoples of the community. And one of my great concerns and disappointments in many elders, and I'm not speaking specifically as it relates to what we call the conscious community. I'm speaking about what I see to be the American civilization, us here in the American hemisphere, the relationship between the younger and the elder. Ideas that I hear elders say is, what's wrong with young people? I have a very serious problem with that. I have a very serious problem with that because our younger people can be no more, no less than who we are. It's like having a cassette player with a cassette tape. And the children are the cassette tape and the cassette player and the voices that go in are the elders. If you were to record your voice, you heard. Because what you're listening to is what you say. Hmm. And I believe that if we want to call the elder generation, let's uh, define it age-wise as 60 and above. You could easy, you could might go 55 and above if you want. I believe that we have not been consistent with our young people. We have come upon rap music, and we want to know, What's wrong with them young people? Well, what's wrong, what's wrong is the fact that we as the elders did not stay on post. And we did not continue the work of people such as Malcolm, such as Martin, because some of us got some change up in our pocket, and we thought that we free. Right. And I believe that had we stayed steadfast with our young people, continued to develop for ourselves, be willing to turn down some cash money, we might have been able to be consistent with our young people so that they could gain some form of respect for us as an elder community. I believe that many brothers forsook our sisters. And I am not saying that I do not understand certain things that happen. Our sisters are sisters and brothers are brothers. And we are both responsible for situations that happen. And I realize that. So I'm not trying to put all the blame on a brother. But what I am saying is that as men, we have to be the protector of our family. And so I believe that these debates are the outcome of generations of young people who are attempting to express what they see to be the realities of the world around them. I believe that Myself as elder and others, James Smalls will also be with us. Phenomenal elder brother. He is the elder brother to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so he is my elder brother. And when James Smalls speaks, I listen because he is my elder. And there is a consistency of respect that I have for my elders, no matter if I am elder too. And this is the African tradition. And so I believe that my place in the debate is to begin to develop a relationship with our community as an elder 
so that when those young brothers and sisters who are now the younger brothers and sisters, when they come my age and older, we as elders today would have prepared a, a place, a throne for them to sit upon to continue the consistency of the respect for the elder generation. And so the debates are a place where people come and wherever Africans are, Africa is, and wherever Africa is, I am at home. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. Um, and, you know, first and foremost, we love our family. We love uh, the brothers and the sisters that comprise and make up our collective, quote-unquote, community. Um, we have a great deal of respect and reverence for every camp involved, for all schools of ideology. Um, and first and foremost, you know, um, we never lose sight of the fact that when we're looking at one of our brothers and sisters in front of us, that's exactly what we're looking at. Whether you got a hat on today or a scarf or a jacket or a tank top, you know, or a jogging suit, and all of those things that I'm using are allegories for different schools of thought that people cloak themselves with. You know what I'm saying? That's all ideology that people dress themselves up with. But, um, if we was in a sandbox, snotty nose playing, you know what I'm saying, and it was all good, and you wasn't asking me what set I claim, and, and you know what I'm saying, what I feel about Moses and stuff like that, like, if we had that level of consistency then, you know, then I think that, um, it goes to show that there's still something uh, innate and intrinsic in us that will allow us to get along and to unify. But I do know the complexities that come along, you know, when we start putting on these different garbs and these different pieces of clothing. You got you got a coat on now, so you're mad at the sun because it's hot outside. You know what I'm saying? So all of these... um extra additives start making people a little bit more uncomfortable with the, uh, you know, w- with their natural stance and their natural stances, you know, you and your people at its essence. So we do honor that we uh, are very privileged to have you in the building, to have you uh, present, you know what I'm saying? I just wish that at some point, you know, that we can lend the microphone to the elders and let the elders give the historical account of this information if it's already been uncovered. You know, if this road has already been one that has been traveled, you know, I wish we could get to the information and get that laid out on the table and deal with that. As is, absolutely. It seems like we're rehashing something that uh, has already been dealt with. It's already been done. That the book's already been written. You know, what I'm saying the lecture's yeah. already been given. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And bottom line, bottom line is is that um, those who still want to continue it never really got the message. So unfortunately, sometimes you have to relive what's already been lived if you yourself are not conscious that it has already been lived. And maybe after all is said and done, we will be able to move to that level where we will be able to. But human nature has it sometimes that, you know, like I tell folk, if it ain't reached me, it can pass. You know, once it reached me, it can't pass me. Mm-hmm. Some of us are still going through the same concept, and and we need to continue going through that until we finally get it right. Because as the ancient Kemites tell you, at Judgment Day, the only thing that will go on that scale is your heart. It ain't the religion of the heart. It's not the political uh, um, team of the heart. Color. It's not your gender. It's not the complexion of your skin. It's your heart. And that is what is to be judged, your heart. Right. Malcolm told us they don't attack you because you're Democrat or Republican. They don't attack you because you're Muslim, Christian, or Jew. They don't attack you because you're rich or you're poor. They attack you because you're black. Together as a community, I don't care what your religion is. If you understand it came from Africa, then you are all right. I don't care what language you speak. As long as you understand it came from Africa, you are all right. Yes. I don't care what and, um, party you belong to. Right. <laughs> Indeed. You know, when I when I get you on the uh, program, I utilize my opportunity as many times as I can to have you um, plugged the brother that you did the lecture with in Los Angeles at Blessed Love. I forget his name starts with a V. He had the uh, wonderful books. Dr. Yeah. Varner, correct? Yeah, Dr. Varner. Yeah, V-A-R-N-E. like I said, I feel like I feel like I sat in the lecture that cleared all of this up. You know, like a few years ago. <laughs> so yeah, this brother, Dr. Varner. Please spell out his name and his website, family. D-A-R-M-A-H. Yes. Dr. Vaughn. His website, do you know it? Um, I, um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think of it, but if you Google his name, the website should come down to you, Dr. Varmer. Uh, Brother Haru is another way he's called, H-A-R-U. Yes, okay, yes. Brother Haru has um, written some phenomenal literature, family that you might want to check out the African origins of the Bible uh, slash, you know, the, the comedic origins as well. He doesn't necessarily quote unquote, take any sides. He just tells a very thorough story about, you know, what can be proven and where you can find it at. You know what I'm saying? So please, Look into this brother's work if clarity is what you're looking for. You know what I'm saying? If you're looking to pick sides and, you know, jump in somebody's camp to go to war with another, then, you know, I don't know what else to say about that. And right. this brother, 
Dr. Varmer is an otanist. You know, I mean, this brother has really embraced the framework of the Aten um, concept, the Aten idea, the Aten priesthood. And um, he has shared with me, as you're speaking of his literature, and this brother has got bibliographies and references. He's got footnotes that this brother has done. I'm trying to figure out, the last time I spoke to brother, I was trying to figure out what his day looked I'm trying to figure out, I, I, I swear the brother can at least another six hours to add on to 24 hours. I think he's able to pull out the cosmos six extra hours every day. Right. Because this brother's work with his, with his wonderful family and his wonderful children, and he's a coach of his, of his children's baseball team, and he does extracurricular activities. I'm trying to figure out where brother gets the time for all this. Because this brother's written work is phenomenal. Yes. And this Some brother, people but, uh, came here specifically to do the work, you know what I'm saying? And it, hey, it, for them, they can do it in their sleep. You know, there is just, in head, like, how? Absolutely. You know, there is just no question, you know. And, um, you know, we have, we have some real, you know, I think that we really have to shed ourselves of a lot of emotion. I really think we have to. Uh, because I think that our emotions and us getting on ca- uh, on camps and creating all these little intellectual gangs really hurts us. Right. Because, like, I've got, I know of minds been with us that not only have their minds been phenomenal, but the impact that their minds have had on other minds has also been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And I think that no matter what we may feel personally about people, I think, see, I think uh, uh, to my brother's and and to the and, and and to those listening, I'm speaking to sisters also who may be in the listening audience. We get in each other's business too much. Can you please say that again? We get in each other's business too much. We have been so impacted by white supremacy, we act like white supremacists, but in a different way. Mm. We try to control and that maintain ain't the truth. You know, we you know we set up boundaries on people. We say, yo, you know, like if you oh, watch yeah, this I'm, TV program, you ain't conscious. Or, I got to jump on that. Sorry, hold on. This community is the most controlling, contriving, <laughs> Nazi, uh, uh, you know, um, like, I've never seen anything like this in my life, and I just want to comment on it. I have to, because I come from a different environment. I come from several different environments, and they were never controlling. When I was in my incubator stage of what you might call a quote-unquote conscious community earlier in my life around Edward Tate, around um, Dr. Sabi with my mother, and, you know, my grandfather and his collective with 
Brother Samaj and, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all of these great elders, and they would take us to see Dr. Ben. And, you know, nobody was necessarily controlling. People kind of like somewhat in one another's business to a degree, but it was more of the background than it was the forefront. Now that shit is at the forefront. You know, where the concept is that you supposedly are the black sheep in your family, right? You're supposedly supposed to be the black sheep in your family. So you're the one out of the ten that don't fit in. So now you come to this community where there are others like you that you're supposed to find some level of unison in. But then those people are telling you, oh, you're a black sheep. You can't have no spots on that blackness. Like, you, you got a spot on your black coat of the black sheep. Like, they're trying to regulate, like, the whole aspect of being a black sheep is that you're different. So how are you going to come into a collection of other black sheep and they're telling you there's only one way to be a black sheep? This shit is crazy. And yeah. it, it permeates because now, like you said, it's become a overarching mentality. It's become an energy. It's become a force. And it, like, takes over people to even come into this thing that might not even initially be that way. So, to me, it seems like an energy that's sitting over this community and it turns people into a thing that's not cool. Mm-hmm. And people be looking places where they got no business. Yeah. And you be like, that's it. what's going on here? Yeah. Like, what the does very- this have to do with your self-development? Like, yeah. where, where did I miss that at? Absolutely, brother. I'm a card-carrying member of a very special club, brother. And I create honorary and and upright member of this club. And I've tried to abide by its one principle that guides it. I belong to the club of mind my own damn business. Thank you. Because the day I started minding my own business was the day I came to realize how much business I really had to mind. You got to mind, yeah. There's a whole universe out there that wants to communicate with you. That's looking for a fulcrum through which they need to express so many things. Where do these people have the time to dedicate to being experts into other people's lives and affairs? I'm trying to figure that out. Man, I got so much like to do. Like you said, the that, that extra I clock do. that you're talking about, that, that, you know, you know what I'm saying, that the great ones have utilized, you know what I'm saying, yeah. this, the variance of yeah. time, they've transcended this whole aspect of they're able to pull information out and still be solid uh, businessmen and family men and all these other types yeah. of situations. On the yeah. flip side of it, it's the same thing with the people just in other people's business, minding their business for them, but would never live, never would never lend them a hand in business. Yes. Yes. See, I believe that people who mind other people's business are afraid to look within. Because the moment they look within, they're going to realize how much work they have to do. 
indeed. Because, man, I got so much work it's, I guess to do, it's, Yeah, because adulting, and it's scary to them, you know. Yeah. And, again, yeah. you know, collectively, what we're talking about in this community is that, you know, you come forth, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is, you know, this is a, 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 a community or, you know, I, I don't even like to use that word, but a, collect, a collective, a network yeah. or what have you. Yeah. Supposed to be a network of experts or those that are looking to, you know, arrive at that conclusion at some point in their lives that they said, you know what, I chose something and I became an expert at it. And I utilize all of the resources around me to fine tune myself as an instrument where I was able to, you know, not play my flute so well, but, you know, because I, I, I utilized this coach and I found out how to breathe and I studied what the grace did. Now I'm, I'm a beast on that flute, pause. So it's the same thing that we're talking about with anything that you bring into this community. You should be looking to master that thing and ultimately that thing is, you know, uh, coinciding and mastering, you know, it's the inward-outward relationship of you mastering your own thing is you mastering yourself. Where do you have the time to play Battleship? Yeah. <laughs> you go to war with somebody else for how they move their boat through the open sea. Absolutely. Like, nah, that's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about mastering your square, honing your skill, finding out what area of expertise you want to contribute in, and then actually contributing. How about that? Yeah. So then the collective could come together with strength and mastery where 10 of us can take on 10 million because we're masters. And then Absolutely. we can replicate that magic that we speak of as if it's only folklore. Well, this is what we have in us. Absolutely. Why immerse yourself in, in metaphysics and you don't want to become the metamagician? You don't want to actually tap that thing, you know, go beyond the veil and actually become that? You just Absolutely. want to be studious in it so you can reel off some words? No, there is a whole universe out there that's waiting for you to jump in, to dive in. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Humanity is at the cusp where we are ready to take a jump. They're looking for brave soldiers. You know, you're not going to gain your bravery by snooping in somebody else's affair or tearing someone down. You know, you're not going to get close to it by standing on somebody's back. That's it, brother. That's it. That is it. And fundamentally, brother, if that lesson is learned, by each and every one of us, particularly our children, the nation that we speak about. We'll build that entity that we dream about and think about. Mm. Mind your affairs. And in doing so, as you so rightly say, become a master in you. And then join the forces of others. You see, when you put yourself against others, you are no longer part of the collected. You are part of the uncollected. Yes. Yes. A collective means you're, that we you're, are You're an electron. You're outside of the cell. That's it. And, That's you know, it. And only gravity keeps you in your <laughs> yeah. orbit. 
you you come and go. You know what I'm saying? You're not even part of the thing no more. Yeah. You know, you're jumping over to that other side, and then you're coming back and bringing that over here, that energy yeah. of antagonism. Absolutely. Yeah, I ain't about, yeah, I don't do, and that's how you see them coming. I see the energy all on them. Because they haven't chosen yeah, to actually, yeah, to do the work. You know what I'm saying? And then there's Absolutely. a whole, uh, uh, a, you know, it's, it's just like a whole battalion of them that observe the work that you do and scrutinize it. But they're not about their work. Yeah. And you see, it goes back to your, your story of being the black sheep. And, you know, my daughter, you know, uh you know, very interestingly, as she watches and hears and sees, she told me a story which, you know, I, you, know, I don't, you know, I give her total credit for the story, but she talks about a people who when you have been in, of your family or your friends, uh, you're considered outside of the norm, you are not part of the group. When you bring a lot of those types of people together, like black sheep, they start mm-hmm. a group, and that group, replicates what the group that would not let you in becomes. So then they become who tells you who can be part of their group and who cannot. Because that gives them the power for once in their life, they now have a power to tell people what people have been telling them for so long. There you go. And so psychologically, in loving our people unconditionally, in understanding this, we have to begin to work with brothers and sisters who may be of that mindset in order uh, to shape and hope that they are able to open themselves up uh, to go within to figure out, well, what has set you apart from all the other people? What is it that you do that creates these things and to thine own self be true? And it's just interesting as I observe this that despite our desire to fight white supremacy, some of us act as white supremacists act. And at the root of white supremacy, indeed. And ignorance gives birth to twins. Fear, false evidence appearing real, and denial. Fear and denial gives birth to a feeling of supremacy because the origins of that, out of ignorance, comes a, a, a sense of inferiority and insecurity. And so the only way to battle that is to deny that you have the fear, remain ignorant, and create an emotion called hatred that is now going to destroy the owner of that heart. Right, so we're talking about... We're talking about, you know, a a, a industry, a factory making of heavy heart, of darkened hearts. Yes. A society, a society that has created roach motels, figuratively speaking, 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where the people that <laughs> would dare stick their nose and, and, and go into these particular roach motels are becoming trapped off and, and you know, letting, letting and hardening their hearts because they're catching you with the prison of judgment. They're catching you with all of these things. You know what I'm saying? People mm-hmm. sitting there pointing at the TV and, you know, they they become antagonistic to the reality show stars and things of that nature and a ticket to, to social media and talk about them. You're talking about yourself. Do you know that? Yeah. There's no separation. That's just you living out your thing over there. So respect that. So we've lost this whole concept of who and what we are by stealing or believing or buying into this concept that we're individuals. Absolutely. We're separate. And when, and because when you use the they have, of the in world. your mind, yeah, you, you, you see that you're on a separate track and you're racing. You're on this race now. You're cheddar chasing. You know what I'm saying? You're on this race yeah. for your life to make it. And you feel that that race is one that you're running alone. But that's what society tells you. And you just bought into the lie. And you disconnected yourself from the collective, and you are liking onto an electron. You're heavy. You're heavy. You feel me? Broke away from the nucleus. And your analogy of the Roach Motel, man, when you think about it, what is it that attracts you in a Roach Motel? It is false evidence that appears real. It's something that. Mm-hmm. attracts you, whether it be a smell or whatever it is, but inside there's a glue that will stick you in a roach motel. And make you heavy, yeah. And that is what this is. You know? There's false evidence searching for that celebrity. When the celebrity, the star is within. The star is within family. Nothing else, family. Nothing else. Please let this sink in. You are stardust. You are composed of everything that's out there in that universe. You. And there's a speckle of light that is in your heart, that's in your chest. That spark of light that's in everything and everyone. Don't buy into the campaign. Even understand that your adversary has that spark. So acknowledge that spark. Don't ever lose sight of that, even if you got to engage that, that, that adversary. The first thing that you do is still you acknowledge the fact that that spark is still there. And that spark is, is part of the spark that you originally came from. Anything that's animated with life has that spark, family. Anything that's atomic has that spark, family. Okay. We are in the construct. If you think of the concept of Legos family, we are in the Lego universe, right? <laughs> everything is built from those blocks. Those blocks are likened onto carbon. So everything in the material verse is part of that carbon. What the hell is carbon family? That carbon is you. That triple six. So don't buy into this illusion. There is no separation. And when I say there's no separation, I'm not only talking about with people that look like you. I'm talking about separation, there's no separation, period. A parent has to be responsible for their children as well. 
That's don't why mean that you can't spank your child if your child is in place for a spanking. But understand that that's your child, okay? Luscious, you ain't going to throw your baby out in the trash, Lucius. You heard me, you heard me, Blue? I do not. Please repeat it. I said that's why my people had six lines. You said that's why what? That's why the poem, My People, has six lines. There you go. Look at that. Look at that. I hope you're able to fit that in there, Brother Kava. You get your last-minute gym. Hey, brother, it's all there, you know, and, you know, what what we have to do is uh, in in moving forward uh, with these concepts and these ideas and looking forward uh, to this Sunday at the uh, Tom Mary Temple uh, to, to just, you know, in this day and age, look to those that came before us, someone who was more in our contemporary history, such as the Langston Hughes and the stories that he told of his people. And then to look at the Aten text, the hymn to Aten, and look at the story that they told. Just said, Brother Pill, we are stardust. Yes. You know, we are starlings. Yes. We're not earthlings. Present in the we past, present in the future, at all times, every time. Family, please understand this. And if it's hard to grasp that concept, we probably don't have to do a whole show on that. But you do not only exist in the now, you exist in the past and the future all at once by way of there waves, no okay? There's no difference. You know, I, you know, there, you know there's a brother that, that I was at a table one time. And, and a brother asked about deja vu. Deja vu is an example of that. When folks feel that I've, I've been here before or I've done this before. Well, you have because there is no difference in time and space. It's all existing at the same time for all time and space. We are encapsulated in this body. We are entombed in this body. But the reality of this entombment, is the fact that this is the only way that we can reflect back and know for sure that we are God having a human experience. A moment right. captured in time like a photograph that allows us proof mm. that we existed. That's what this thing we call life is. But there was a before life, and there, and, and, and there is a, a next life. There is a, no after. After. Right. We have no, always after. been around, we are now, and we will forever be. And this is why, you know, growing up Roman Catholic, they said God was, is, and shall ever be. Well, that's what black folk are. That's what humanity is, each and every one of us. We are what was. Yes. Yeah. Brother Cabo, you got bars, man. Say again, brother. Yes. I say you got bars. You got bars. You know, in hip-hop, we call it bars. <laughs> okay, brother. I can deal with that because on Sunday, 
we coming with our bars, brother, and we're going to do our thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, and I just, I just I thank do, my yes. brother, George, and my sister, Okosua Tate. I thank the Tom Mary and the Tom Mary Temple. And I just encourage our community to come out Sunday to the Tom Mary Temple, 104, 106. Yes. Things start happening at 2 o'clock. And I just ask us to come out and spend time together in fellowship in honoring this enduring legacy of the great poet Langston Hughes and his premonitions of a time well done when Akhenaten wrote the hymn to our chant. And when we leave there on Sunday, sometime in the evening, I'd like us to walk away and understand that we are the creator having a human experience and that we are starling, not earthling. That's right. Absolutely. Um, family, we have a few minutes remaining to the live broadcast. Three four seven six three seven twenty one thirty five is the call in number. I will repeat three four seven six three seven two one three five. We do have hands up in the call queue. I want to get to some of these callers. Brother Kaba, uh, with your permission of course. Yes, brother, please. I'm happy to talk Okay, to you. let's go to caller from the eight three two Eight three two five two six. Call a peace. Peace, family. Peace. Oh man, I was enjoying it. This. this brother Talib. Oh my brother Talib was goody. Peace, red, blue. Uh, uh, Baba, you doing all right? Okay. Yeah, we, okay. we 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 calling calling in from the mud down south in uh, Houston, Texas, and uh. Listen, I wanted to let the elders know we appreciate your work down here. It's been it's been impacted down here. And uh, you know, just uh appreciate the work you're doing, you know, paving the way for young brothers like me and other uh, people in the community and stuff that's doing the work, you know. So uh wanna uh, yeah, just wanna big big shout out to you uh to you guys and um and uh, so I wanna want you to speak touch a little bit on um Economics and uh, um, group manufacturing is really not that hard. It's th- some things that we're really, really working on right now is uh, doing a lot of um, group man- manufacturing and creating real life co ops and stuff with uh, Superfood Village That's and right. my company, SoulFoodVegan.com. So, um, yeah, man, I, can't, I just want to see if y'all can speak on that a little bit, touch on that. You want to know if we could speak on the uh, the aspect of the food or the necessity for growing? The necessity of a co- of a co-op. And a lot of people not really understand how a co-op oh, works. Yeah. Basically, everything that yeah. goes into some kind of storefront, you basically right. uh, you you manufacture. You teach people how to manufacture. It's relatively cheap uh, insurance that you can get for maybe like about five hundred to eight hundred dollars a year. That's like a half and half a million dollar uh, insurance policy and stuff like that. So uh, I'm a yes. firm believer in AA's classic uh, blog, uh, uh, No Ledge Radio's uh, uh, lecture, uh, monetize or die. So yes. that's one thing that we really have to do with our talents. We have to really. That's what I really want him more so to speak on how important for us to monetize our talents. You know, so because a lot of this stuff yes. is that. The counterproductive productivism is a lot of people are hungry, ain't got no money. You know what I mean? And 
you know, we need we need to eat. We need to break bread with each other more. You know what I mean? And we need to get bread up out of people, just like bread get like people get bread up out of us. So it's time for us to play chess. You know, not checkers. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, man. And and you know, we need to heal more, more so heal 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 each other. If we see some see some people that's doing something in our community that we feel like is uh, opposing to your views, reach out with a loving hand because it's still your it's still your brother and si- brother and sister at the end of the day. No one's perfect, but uh, you know that that's the main thing that we got to do. We got to start breaking bread with each other more, having more having more respect, and uh, you know, really really treating each really treating each other like we give a damn about each other. Like we, you know, what I mean, if you really give a damn about each other, you're gonna break bread with each other, and that's it. You know what I mean? Right. So, Brother Cabo? Brother, and, you know, that whole idea of the co-op and the whole idea, and, and, and I go back to the days of George Edward Tate when he had a co-op. And I remember he came to the Bronx and he spoke to us. We were in a, a class group that I used to meet a fa- uh, eat, meet in a brother's home with a, a number of different people, and I was doing the curriculum. And I remember that one day George Edward Tate came and he spoke about this co-op that he had where, you know, we would come and we would pick up uh, food and, and, and fruit, you know, at, at this particular location. And I, I was into it immediately, you know. Okay. And we have to begin to look at also uh, growing our own food. Um, there, are, there are many of us who are now growing gardens and, and you know, I mean, okay. because all this information that's is really one thing, big, but it's that's also really big another thing here. in terms of eating. You know, yeah, and, yeah, and really... you know, like I asked a question here. Here's power. My question is, can if if all of the supermarkets and places where we buy our food close, right. would we still be able to eat? Right. And if and your answer it, to me uh-huh. is is no, then you don't have any power. And right. if you can, right. by that I mean, I knew a family here in the Bronx. Uh, two sisters lived together, and they had a little garden where they grew tomatoes and cucumbers. And, and, and fruits and vegetables in their little backyard. Those sisters had more power than a multimillionaire that had no land. Exactly. Hmm. And uh, I, I, my family, my, wow, my family would kill me if I didn't uh, say their name. Uh, we got a brother named Brother Kavanaugh. He's been on TED Talks. Uh, uh, brother Kavanaugh, he started the Honorable Marcus Garvey Garden out here, and uh, he's hmm. basically creating, doing something to, as you're speaking out uh, uh Brother Kaba, Baba Kaba, is uh, yes, basically uh, um, he's going. We have a lot of land down here in Houston, Texas. So he's basically creating a, a, a phalanx, or basically a group of everybody who has a little land, uh, or even their back and front yard. We actually doing a lot of gardening that way. And uh, we also have the um, Urban League out here that um, uh, uh, that actually has um, an outdoor garden in the hood. And it's like edible fruit. You know, a lot of the homeless go out there and get the fruit that grows right off the trees and stuff. And uh, we got everything growing. So that's um, anybody want to yes. get in contact with these brothers? You deal with the Urban League, and uh, most importantly, uh, New Waters. Um, we have a co-op out here, and uh, it's new. It's, it's called New Waters. And uh, the, lady, the lady that's over there, name is Sister Carmen. She's doing a really good job. And uh, that's in, in the Third Ward that's, area, that's in beautiful. Houston, Houston, Texas. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Co-ops are the oldest business models on the planet, and by the year of, um, well, let's say in a few years, I, I don't have the exact figure in front of me. You can go to iwb.coop 
which is the um, International Water Bank dot Co-op. The co-op started by our brother King L. Ray, dealing with the uh, some of the purest water on the planet coming out of the South. Right, the brothers' uh, business is based out of the South, and he came forth and did a show on here on KTL, the Water Wars, and he was explaining this opportunity is open to the family. You know, we need to look into the business model of the co-ops. The UN said this would be the business model of the future. They're going to go back to this business model. Uh, we complain about capitalism. We say that it don't work. You know, what is some, what is it we are doing? What are we doing, should I say, to work on the, the alternative model, the cleaner model, the better model? Where's the glass of pure water next to the dirty glass? So the business model presented of co-ops, that's a strong model. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That is who we are as a people. You know, that is a model that originates from our indigenous aspects of how we did business. We did it as Absolutely. a co-op. So Absolutely. families should look into co-ops. That is the key right there. That would alleviate a lot of the poison that these other business models have, you know, inserted in us. You know what I'm saying? This ideology, this mindset that we've adopted to play this game that is not necessarily our game. Absolutely. So, yeah, the and, uh, co-ops yeah, is the goal. And, and, um, and we have a... Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we have a lot of things that we're doing similar to that. So we have, we actually, uh, we have a brother, Zan, that you met that's been doing a lot of work in the community out here 20-plus years. He actually created um, his own radio station through his own connections in pretty much all the major cities in America called allrealradio.com. And, uh, you know, we feel we're free to talk the way we're able to talk on blog talk. But, uh, you know, you know, that's why I'm going to get you guys to link up. And, uh, you know, uh, you're, doing, you're doing a lot of yeah. work in all the major, major, uh, major Houston, cities. Houston is one of those places, family, that I liken onto, you know, with the, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, the energy that, that permeates from what we would call our motherland, our mother continent, Africa. You know, I personally have not physically been there in this lifetime as of yet, but when I went to Houston, when I went to Florida, I already knew when I got to Florida that Florida was connected to the continent, and science has come out very recently and showed the map where it shows that, you know, Africa was once part of Florida, for that matter, was once part of Africa, this entire continent, for that matter, but Houston has that aspect, and the reason I can tell is because my morphology, when I get off the plane and I go to these places, my physical appearance changes. When I go to Miami, I'm a different person when I get off the plane because yeah, get, the magnetic going, feel of that place, yeah, that magnetic plate, the magnetic feel, the magnetism of that place is different. So it changes who I am and how I look because in essence, my people come from those islands. My people are, you know, are people that come from a place very near the equator. Houston has that energy. It's 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 so electric, like the, the plant. Everything is just growing wild out there. You know what I'm saying? It's not domesticated at all, and that's the energy of the people in Houston. They are very electric people. You give them something. They're going to run with it. They're going to put literally, figuratively, put the seeds in the ground, step back and watch it grow. So yeah. Houston is definitely a, a place that we have to look towards in terms of, you know, putting some of our attention when it comes to 
creating a food source, uh, a viable food source, that we can move some of that food around the country if we're not putting our hands in the dirt where we're at, getting it right. If we want to put some real indigenous seeds back in the planet, shout out to Terrence Miller. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Houston. Absolutely. We're going we're gonna to link up with him, That's too. Key. We already know Florida's key as well. So let's get it right, y'all. Absolutely. All right? So Absolutely. I want to shout really? out my brother. Nah, I don't really? think Red is on right now. Oh, I mean, I'm going to say blue. Blue. Do you, do you mind if yeah. I give a little science on the southeast Texas and Louisiana, the uh, OMEC connection that's really not in no books, just right quick? Do you mind? Uh, do you important. mind, Brother Please, Calvin? Yes. All right. Hey, brother, I'd like to hear it, man. School me. Okay, okay. Okay, in the southeast Texas and Louisiana, this is actually in my book. I actually done some lectures. And shout-out to Brother Kepera, uh, with Kepera Bookstores. And uh, he just basically had some uh, issues yeah. that's going on right now. I cleared it up. Uh, it was a brother that had a... Uh, uh, a venue or something event that actually had his name in it, but uh, he's a good brother, good brother in the community. You know, he apologized for his part in it, but uh, it's all love. But on a on a, on a lighter note, but the Southeast Texas and Louisiana connection is uh, uh, the Eshack or Tacapaw. They've been dated back in the Southeast Texas, Louisiana for ten to twelve thousand years. We know the Olmec have been dated into Central uh, Mexico for ten thousand years, correct? Correct. So the the Ishak and Tacopaw of Southeast Texas and Louisiana. Uh, uh, these are the, uh, one of the founders of uh, one of the music, uh, um, which you can find them to follow the music, uh, the music, and you can follow them through language. The oldest, the oldest music form that we know in America is, that we know is like the blues, but it's actually Zodico. Uh, I'm not a lot of people up north, I'm not sure if they're familiar with Zodico, but uh, it is that's where they get the spin off of blues, and um, I also have pictures and uh, the same musical instruments of the Omex, the uh, Takapa, Ishak, and the Washita with these same musical in, um, instruments. So these all these people are Af- Black African people who've been beating the drum, uh, creating their own tambourines and Ch- their own Chicago little Square. Shit. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and you know. It, that's the connection. Now I can go a little more deeper, but the, uh, if anybody's do a little more research, and uh, it's a book actually called uh, "The Indians That Gave Us Zodico," and uh, this is a music form that uh, a lot of people doesn't really don't know about, but it's really old. It's really dear to heart to a lot of people out here. But uh, the Takapak, the Takapak Ishak are contemporary with the Omics in Southeast Texas and Louisiana. They're also mound builders, also. Yeah, man. And. With the vigor, one more thing: the vigor with the RBG and the Omics. I, I kind of feel it's a mound builder civilization because there's a lot of mounds up there. And John Horse, John Horse has been documented. It had a lot of uh, allies in in the Dallas and 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 uh, uh, Oklahoma area with a lot of black uh, black Indians in order for them. It's too much to go. So, and uh, attack apart. Yeah. Check actually helped fought against the Europeans. There's so much. So uh, when you go into the Louisiana Mardi Gras, they actually have a lot of the same chants of the Takapa Ishak, uh, uh, Adetos, the same war chants and stuff like that, which is the, uh, one of the main bases was in Opelousas, Louisiana. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people have a lot of family go to Opelousas, Louisiana. So, but the water runs deep. Well, brother, and, yeah, I'm we need to get that book out. You know what I'm saying? We need to put that book, uh, you know, in our mental libraries and and start connecting dots with other brothers that have bits and pieces of the information and sisters as well. And we need yes, to start sir. cataloging 
you know, this great historic buried story of the Americas right here. Okay? And um, right on. you know, not in the interest of dividing anything, but unifying, you know what I'm saying, these land masses, showing who we are at all times, everywhere, all at once. All right? Yes, sir. Because yes, the story is not going to be complete if we don't tell the whole story. Absolutely. All right? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Give thanks, my brother. Peace. As always, peace. peace. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take another caller from the 240 240321 caller. Peace. Peace to know the ledge, peace to the elder. It came on the show. I love it when the elder's on there. Um, this was an excellent show, Blue. Thank you so much for yeah, it. Thanks. And I just wanted to make one comment. You always hear like, man, that pushed our people back like 50 years. This conversation today did the opposite <laughs> of that for many, many years. You know, pushed us forward. Oh, really um, reminded us of how to do that. Y'all hit the accel- acceleration button on the people. Tonight. Okay. Thank you all for that. You all have a great night and keep coming back on the show, Brother Cobb. No doubt, Peace. Brother Man. I I appreciate you, Brother. Stay strong. Yes, sir, you too. No doubt. Yes indeed. Give thanks. Brother Cobb is a vital part, piece and component of this program. You know, this brother is not only connected to us as a Extension of our direct family with KT, the Octagree's father, Edward Tate, through my godfather, uh, Basaya Muchawi, you know what I'm saying? But um, before we even knew any of that, this brother's information, standing alone on its own, you know, was, was you know, uh, uh, edifying enough, you know what I'm saying, where it was raising us as a father. Information, family. The teaching style, family, the narrative. You know, I didn't see this brother on both coasts of this country, and it's always been love. You know what I'm saying? He was always possessing the conversation that I needed for that very, very moment. You know, to strengthen my resolve, to lift me up, to to, to clear my eyesight so I can see clearly. So I'm always in gratitude. You know, of the. Uh, presence, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and just who you are and what it is that you do, and KTL University won't be KTL University, you know what I'm saying, without that curriculum that you have to offer, so we're, we're still working, putting the fine touches on it, but the family should be able to, you know, access this information 24-7 as well once we launch. All okay, right? well, that, sounds, that sounds good to me, brother, Yes, let me take one more caller in the call queue. All right, I got a caller from the 516-881. This is Brother Raakou. Peace. Peace, Lord. I want to speak to Brother Kabaf. You know, it's always an honor to hear him speak. I thought we were going to get into, uh, uh, I know we don't have time to really get into that. I can't find it either. I said, it's Langston Hughes or another brother that wrote the story about the cat that was underground. Was that Langston Hughes? What, what do you say, what now? 
Lacey Hood, I think, was the author of this story of this brother who was underground, who lived underground and only came up to get provisions and things like that. You know, it could, I, you know, I'm not Brad sure. Right it you know, I don't know, brother. I can't answer that. I'm not that familiar with that story. Okay, but well, anyway, I just wanted to know what your opinion of that was because that was a very, uh, uh, they had us to read it when I was a kid. In, in in junior high or elementary, I think late elementary. So, but you know, that's all I wanted to ask about. You know, I don't want to take up any time, but peace to everybody. Okay, know? but I gotta say that's an interesting story, brother, about the brother who lived on the ground when he come up for provisions. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, it was written. I know it was late. I think it was Langston Hughes. I'm not. I'm not sure. It could have been another black author. It's a classic, as you were talking on. And the brother, oh. Uh, it's a story about a black man who was on the run and he was living in the sewage and he was coming up and creeping in people's houses through the sewage. He did provisions and he got caught. And, you know, the story was big because he was down there for a long time. And I thought Langston Hughes was the author of that. But uh, it may have been another black author, you know. Yeah, or, or it could have been Langston Hughes. I, you know, it's just that I don't know the answer to that question, but I'd be interested in knowing eventually exactly who the author of that story is and maybe I'd even like oh, to read that. I'm still looking for it, bro. I just couldn't listen to the show and find Google <laughs> it and, and engage the chat and everything all at one time, you know. I got you. I got you. I understand what you're saying. No yeah. doubt, but I'm definitely going to look for that now. Indeed. I appreciate that. I right. One day you will elaborate on it. Peace. Okay, brother. Stay strong. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Peace. Hope you have All right, brother. Peace. Tap. And with that, family, we have concluded all of the hands up and the call queue. You know what I'm saying? All of the family and the audience has any questions, comments, or concerns. Um, we want to say thank you to our esteemed brother for joining us this evening. It is always, you know, a um, it's always class. It's always it's always a classical classroom session for the professors in the building. You know what I'm saying? And we look forward to Sunday's presentation where he can elaborate further. He's going to have his presentation put together, of course. You're going to be in the company of some wonderful, energetic, positive people. All right? And um, one more time, yeah, one more again, let's inform them of the specifics and the particulars dealing with the event. It's, it's called the Symposium. It's going to be February 1st, uh, this Sunday. Um, starts at 2 o'clock. We don't know when it's going to end, but it's going to start around 2 o'clock. And it's uh, at the Tomary Temple, located 104-106 West, uh, East 120th Street, between Park and Lexington Avenue. And for those who might who might not be able to attend but would like more information, I encourage you to reach out to me. Uh, you can go to my website, P-A-N-T-H-E-R-P-R-I-N-C-E.com, Pantherprince.com, and you can download information, including my study guide, or you can email me at commona777 at AOL.com, K-A-M-E-N-E, 777 at AOL.com. I'd be happy to send you my study guide uh, to continue this study uh, because uh, it ain't over till we win. So just keep on keeping on, family. 
and to the and to the Nodalege family, to the blue and to the red pill, to my brother KT, I thank you so much for this opportunity to speak with you and to the family. And I look forward to the future. Yeah. And Mama Pills made this possible. Ma- Mama Pill? Yeah. Mama okay, Pill. Okay, let me. Ma- let me my Mama, she sees something in George Edward Tate that made her gravitate towards him that we could have a KT to off degree. So. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that, then. Mama Pill, no. too. No doubt. Mama no Pills, doubt, family. Well. I look forward to right. the future, man. Stay strong. Absolutely, my brother. Peace. 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 All right. KT, take us out. K Tizzle. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to end it on this note. I'm going to play this piece that I put together called Raising in the Sun. Whenever I hear Langston Hughes' name, it reminds me of Raising in the Sun for some reason. I know that he didn't put together that particular poem. But nonetheless, all right, I'll see you next episode, y'all. Peace. My people are not strong enough to let go of the dream that no longer provides them strength. A dream deferred with a rotten stench. My people are buckling under the weight of this dream that has become such a heavy burden that five-year-olds literally have to have the might of Hulk Hogan to hold on and hold up this crumbling dream. We have ushered our family to a burning house in hopes of finding this dream. And we are now so deep in a house, it's virtually impossible to get out. The ceiling is collapsing and we are using our youth as shields to absorb the blunt force trauma from this collapsing beam. Buckling under pressure, eroding from exposure to the elements, weakened from within. An infrastructure that has been molested by the molars of mechanized nanotermites as if they had their national convention there. You can rise from Butler, the president of this house. America will find a way to remind you, though, you're still a nigga. Still a nigga. In this house, you can rise through the ranks of being America's boy to America's dad. Primetime entertainment in the big room. America will still find a way to remind you. You still a nigga, boy. You can go from mammy of the house to first lady of the house. And America will fix her big fat mouth to remind you and your children. You still a nigga. Funny thing is, this the house you built. And those unruly house guests are just visitors from out of town who have overstayed their welcome. But these some savvy tourists, they found where you hid the deeds and they put their best forgerers on the job. But now they got the nerve to try to show you the door because they found them some Mexicans willing to do the shit that you once did with no hassle. They ain't about to be waving no deeds in the face of these usurpers, telling them to tread water back to Europe. Oh, no. They know the Mexican will settle for a room in a house that they can all pile into on some Airbnb shit. Even had the nerve to call them dreamers while they reinforce the stereotype that Joe Baby's America's nightmare, worthy of death by firing squad. So, again, 
What happens to a dream deferred? What happens to the unique vision of our future by our future dreamers? How long are we to trade or forfeit our dream of a better tomorrow for a cookie-cutter version of a dream that is not realistic? Is it not a movie prop like Pleasantville? The white picket fences? Or are you still invested into this dream? If you were evicted out of the big house and had to live in a tree house, would that strengthen the roots of our family? Is this burning McMansion with mega rooms tricking us to believe just because the fire hasn't reached your wing of the house that it's not on fire? Oh, that's just them burning, huh? What becomes of a dream deferred? What consequence is the constant, non-stop loop of seeing Mike Brown's body undone, drying up like a raisin in the sun as the blood careens down the street and life retreats into the clouds? What does this do to the psyche of a child? Seeing Eric Garner, a gentle giant, being dealt the most aggressive of treatments on camera at that, but being told what you saw was not a crime. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, this was not only a signal to the police around the world, or the militia, or the vigilantes, or anyone with a nigger gripe, but also to your children who mimic behavior. It won't be too long before a song hits World Star or a clip hits Vine with one of our own applying a chokehold. Remember, the children have to laugh to keep from crying. Keep in mind, what you feed to the subconscious before closing your eyes becomes a reality you project when you go to sleep. It's time to wake up and stay woke in order to dream a new dream. The babies is watching. Eyes wide.